Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk More Movies, the show where I try and talk about movies, but never talk about anything and everything else. I am your host, Michael Breslin. To my left is... Ed Gein. No, I'm not doing that thing again, Sean Coyle. You haven't done that in ages. Nah, I know. I was trying to bring it back, but it's shade. So, yeah, go ahead. We'll, work away with your thing. the first time. <laughs> and to my right... Calm here. Hey. Hey. Yes. You said that, like, you looked at me like you were answering a question on the university <laughs> challenge. <laughs> uh, calm here. Uh, it's my name. <laughs> Correct. That's like an anchor yes. thing. <laughs> Fuck you, Cambridge, you pack of cunts. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an anchor man joke where they put the question mark at the end of everything. <laughs> what is he trying to say goodbye or something like that? I'm Ron Burgundy. I'm Ron Burgundy. <laughs> 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 the inflections class like <laughs> calm you were um, off in Dublin over the weekend how, how was the capital capital's doing well Godzilla ain't rocked up just yet you know. <laughs> uh, no it's doing good it was in the Waltons the place where they shot once in that oh uh, yeah there's nobody playing falling slow or anything like that. <sighs> it's Glenn that outside now nah. I thought he was going to still try and keep it real like nah. well you see I because me and Heron were talking about this it's either it gets gets played all the time in there or everyone's afraid to play uh, it, so it hasn't been played since. Uh, but then the one time it's played, <laughs> people are going to lose their fucking shit. Like, you, know, you don't know. It could be like some really annoying like American guy who thinks it's a really great idea. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he looks like Glenn. He's just all, this is, this is an awesome idea. This is going to be fucking phenomenal. It's going to be fucking unreal. These fucking Irish patties won't know what fucking hit yeah, them. These fucking <laughs> potato picking motherfuckers won't know what just went in their ear holes. <laughs> <laughs> but I know it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bit of, uh, I think it was a bit of Jessica Chapman. No, good nigga, You always get that. Yeah, but, uh, that's go to lounge. <laughs> I spent fucking ages laboring over Sunday Bay, and I was like, I was hovering over all sorts of shit. Seems like you bought a fucking fair with that books back then, anyway. I bought a wee NL Marconi scorebook. Oh, but <laughs> the thing was that it was in it's all in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> you could just figure out it's all right because anyone only he was all I I think I know about anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was just all the only one in English was Once Upon a Time in America I was all well no I can read that nowadays then I hear is something 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 West I was all well, that's Once Upon a Time in the West and then it says something something Cheyenne so that's Cheyenne's theme yeah. and then uh, that's such a good theme too something to, uh, what is it that's the one you're wasted on here here 
I know. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. First of all, the hours, but uh, going on. But uh, uh, no, I was oh, no, I was there on that, and uh, Colby and Walton's like, uh, good old fucking story. Looks nothing like what I did when I shot once. So did you buy a How to Learn Italian book as well? Now then, for your wee and Mark Carney one. Ah, no, no, I haven't done that. No, and I'm not going to. I could see you fucking rocking up around right Sorrento Beach, chest out, hair out, doing a Brando impression. Aye. Just build pizza. I do get to the bus station. Please, please, please. What time is bus? <laughs> what time is bus? <laughs> Why, what's pizza in Italian? It's pizza. Pizza. <laughs> pizza. <laughs> pizza. Pizza. Like a mum used to make. What was that thing we done a couple weeks ago with James Franco? Like a James uh, the, the book of the poetry. The book of the poetry. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck was that about? Because I just couldn't talk, and I said the book of the poetry. <laughs> <laughs> like a mama used to write, but now nah, it's fucking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, get up here and bump me. <laughs> I because fucking you, you bring up stuff to me from past episodes, and usually I'm a blocked on here. I can never remember a fucking battle on me. But then I usually find them quite amusing. Yeah, it's nice. And <laughs> I, like, I was like, fuck, I'm actually doing some good work on here. <laughs> <laughs> memories are good, crack. I know you actually have some you can listen back on. How, how was your week, Michael? It's all right. Oh, too much, like. that, that's, not believing that, anyway. No. I'm trying to impressed. How do we date night with Jill? Ooh. Oh, shit. Thank fuck you said Jill there. <laughs> 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 a bit in the side. Fluff on the side. Um, Dating no. it with a bag of dolls. Just. <laughs> well, date- bag of dolls. <laughs> <laughs> a wet bag of dolls just. <laughs> Works both ways anyway. Go on. Well, date night just consisted of going to the cinema and then bowling and playing some games. Bowling and bowling, am I right? Bowling and bowling. Danger bottle is we get a cheap bottle of booze every week and we drink it because it's just what we decided to do when we started a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we've just rode the light ourselves. <laughs> so Shan Coyle. It's the best description ever. Right? Your danger bottle this week. <laughs> danger bottle this week is... No, but there are two seconds of double bagged for your pleasure. No, for uh, double bag for safety. No, I know. It's double rubbed. We're not rubbed for your pleasure. Rubbed That's what it is. Rubbed for your pleasure. Double bag double, for safety. Double bagging doesn't... Anybody, nah, it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, especially myself. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> an actually important one. Anyway. The uh, the danger ball this week is because it's been you know summery and it's been nice weather. I mean, it's not about light and refreshing, you know. I thought I'd go for Echo Falls with summer berries. Oh god! Oh god. Now, is what, this wine or this some is sort wine cocktail? Like, no, this is an actual wine, but it's like a fruity wine. But usually with these My sort favorite. of usually with these sort of like fruity wines and shit like that, it's only like three, maybe four percent. This, I think, is a very impressive 9%. Isn't that bad? Like, uh, also, £3.33. It's like a, it's a French. £3.33? £3.33. And as well, Echo Falls. Echo Falls brand name saved uh, £92 when we Tesco Club card, you know? 
He saved 92 pounds. Oh, sorry, 92p. I was going <laughs> to say, everybody go and fucking buy it. Like. <laughs> <laughs> fucking 95 pound bottle of fucking wine. <laughs> uh, turn into a fucking zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Me and that dog. Everything's shifting as I go forward. That was like, when, <laughs> when, <laughs> when, I, when I worked in Tesco, a whole pallet of Carsberg got wet because it was left outside. So all the cans were just bursting out of the boxes like I'm taste better by any chance now so <laughs> so they just they were so they were just selling them single cans just to get rid of them they were selling them 10p a can fuck you off, couldn't fucking off, move in that alcohol <laughs> I mean you must have track air here <laughs> where were we at <laughs> the boy was in the aisle trying to I price trying to price them you know. and he couldn't get to the cans because people were just ticking them <laughs> they priced them fuck's sake can we we could have still had some in cans now like so we actually oh. thought about it and more likely if it was when you were working in Tesco we still would have been students we could have pulled together fucking student loans Churchburg fucking hote it's a tough drink but ten pia can you'd fucking happily put your pride away like no love how you're still contemplating it shit's cold enough like you know want a drink let's go with there is a description cans for a tenner shall we uh that was 100 cans for a tenner read Echo oh actually no it's actually name is Echo Falls Rosé Fruit Fusion so this delicious rosé has been delicately blended with natural flavours of summer berries. Can I ask you one question? Yes. Can you wash your hair with? More than likely, I say so, like. <laughs> the result is a bright, fruity, refreshingly sweet rosé, perfect for sharing with friends. Aww. Enjoy chilled over ice for the Aww. perfect serve. <laughs> if you like this, like yeah, put, a, put a fucking crowbar on here too. Why not try one of the alternative flavours mm. in our Echo Falls Fruit Fusion range? And then I uh, want to try something different. Add a splash of ginger ale. Nah, fuck it. We don't have that. Right. We'll get on <laughs> that. So. Shan, can you try and say Echo Falls Fruit Fusion Range 10 times? Smells right? delicious. Echo Falls Fruit Fusion Range. Uh, Echo Falls. I'll see. Ooh. Echo Falls Fruit Fusion Range. Echo Falls Fruit Fusion Range. Echo Falls Fruit Fusion Range. Ah, fuck, I'm gone already. Echo Falls Fruit Fusion Range. Echo Falls Fruit Fusion Range. Echo Falls Fruit Fusion Range. Yes! Yes! <laughs> hey, that was only like four the times. The anger in your face. <laughs> right, we'll get a gas base in. Oh, fuck, it smells like the uh, summer berries my body. Uh, one of my oh. favourites. Anyway. <laughs> I might make a gin cocktail out shit. It's actually fucking delish. Very, very nice. Very easy to drink. Too easy to drink. <laughs> See my final summer berries. That's one of my dad's, my, my dad's <laughs> friends' things where uh, he was like, What about the other berries? I don't like them, other berries can fuck. What about dingleberries? <laughs> uh, my dad's friend, he was, he was just a Guinness drinker for years. And then my dad was just talking, I fuck, I'm, I'm looking over at Peterson and I fucking handed him, I handed him a rum and coke, right? First rum and coke ever. And he, he, he came up once in the first sip, you see. I was all, right, you can you know. Hey, wait, wait, you know, I wasn't too cracked on her. And then, uh, and then he threw a wee bit more back and he's just all, Jesus, don't like her that much, hey, but, but, uh, you could get that like it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> get the fucking like it. Get that thing, your fucking goal. Stop reminiscing. It tastes like, it <laughs> does. Two years later, he was on that flavor with a box of house. <laughs> 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 it does just taste like like fruit cordial. It's fucking delicious, eh? Jesus, that is dangerously nice. Dangerously nice. And I'm thinking about using it as a mixer. I <laughs> time. That's what I was actually thinking. Though, if you think about it, right? Fair enough. That bottle there is usually four pound, which is fuck all in drink prices, and it's nine percent. You can easily fuck out on my wee vodka and a wee fucking white lemonade or something like that. The wee spritzer, you know what I'm saying? No, I was just gonna. Actually, you know what? Wine. Gonna do that right now. 
Gonna get that Echo Falls, but of vodka and but of your seven up. Thank you very much. Where is your seven up? <laughs> I've hidden it. This <laughs> <laughs> is because fucking hair and crafted a couple of drinks before the podcast. Oh, it is in my way. It's on the ground. <laughs> so, speaking, so, speaking of seven up, um, any see the lethal weapon trailer this week? Nah. Is there a new movie? No. <laughs> Explain. No, coincidentally, I was reading a popular magazine. This week, and they interviewed Shane Black because the nice guys is coming out. I don't, which, mean, I don't mean to doubt the podcast, but yeah, which is getting the phenomenal reviews. Already, apparently, it's, it's very, very good. Uh, well, I ho- hopefully, hopefully so. I, I seen one view or uh, review that the title was "It's not as funny as it thinks it is." Uh, that's probably somebody who's just trying to be a wanker. But anyway, well, you like Shane Black's an old fucking. Gem of Hollywood, like yeah, big time. I think he's a genius. I think especially he's a genius in writing a certain type of film. I don't think there's anybody else you can write that sort of body cop thing as well as him, mm-hmm. but also have like a kind of engaging action film. Nice, mm-hmm. he, he balances it perfectly. Anyway, back to Lethal so Weapon. Speaking of Lethal Weapon, so fucking Riggs and Murta back together again uh, from the start. So <sighs> Riggs is like doing stunts and being brilliant and all this kind of stuff and then <laughs> it's just it, I'm trying to think what it what it felt like watching it it was like like martial law or something or it was like no. son if you were about 12 and you liked the action films uh, and you you know you weren't you know going out on a Saturday night so be like fucking all, like, yeah, like, like broken arrow or something like that no, Broken Arrow looked better, as better than this thing. But Jesus. It, just, but it, it looks <laughs> like, because it's primetime TV, yeah. it, it looks like it's going to be quite safe, and kind of they're they're turning the banter up to 11. Shit, they've done that recently with Russia or 2, that Russia or TV series looks fucking horrendous. That's yeah, supposed yeah. to be awful. It's, it's like, I mean, it's really hard to create these sorts of, like, I mean, archetypes and it's really hard when they work oh I mean, wait it's directed by mcg i love it oh jesus so that sums it all up my head you boot in the mcg in the mchole but uh i just read the first episode was directed by a cunt um that means he gets a producer credit the whole way through it does doesn't it but who's 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 the lead actor again it's it's martin wayans senior it's martin wayans or mike or white call is it martin no, Damon Wayans. Oh Damon Wayans. I, Damon Wayans Jr. You mean? No, Damon Wayans Senior. Damon Wayans Senior. Is Murta playing a young Murta? Well, they're not really young. I mean, yeah, the guy, the guy like playing Riggs 40? is like forty. Well, well, who's the boy playing Riggs? I don't know some guy. Some fucking random boy. Clayne Crawford. He was in that film, The Perfect Host. If you've ever seen it. Is he also? Uh, He's like forty. Is he also a Catholic extremist who's going to say some pretty fucked up shit in a couple of years' time mm-hmm. at the highest fame? <laughs> like, continue. That's him. But uh, I know I watched mm-hmm. it. I was just like. It's very hard for like you know. I imagine it's like reading the book and then watching the film, but it's like source material to this new thing. I was just like, ah, this looks fucking pish. And then at the same time, I read this Shane Black article and it was talking about what he had written for Lethal Weapon Five. I still think Lethal Weapon Five is going to happen. Has um, he written a Lethal Weapon? Ah, he's written a treatment for it. And remember, I says I wanted it to be like fucking a bit more dangerous, like. Uh, talking about rigs and all and fucking uh, Desert Storm and all and just bringing back a, a bit more of that of rigs rather than just the handy hand stuff did you not want to bring Busey back as well <laughs> Busey or he died no Busey didn't die he was just choked out no he was no he died 
because he tried. I thought to, he was just choked out. No, he was he was choked out. And oh, Murtaugh's garden. Yeah, he was choked out, and then he tried to reach for one of the cops' guns. That's right, now. Yeah, they, yeah, they fucking shot him down. I always just remember him getting choked out, and then I thought they left him. Yeah, but yeah. now he's what he right, calls. He's just don't break his fucking neck. <laughs> 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 but, uh, oh, I've seen this so many times. It's great. Ah, uh, uh, so five. The fucking uh, get Jerry Busey in there as a son. Yeah, son now. Identical yeah. to him. Norbeck fucking two figure and just 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 serious bro, not really. yeah. But but have it like a big reveal like halfway through that he's Gary Busey's son. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I don't work that one out. ML's all I kinda figured, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, when I seen them when I seen them Nashers coming up But anyway, uh show I have a feeling it's gonna be balls. I'll still give it at the fucking light of day and see what happens because I like whatever. But uh Shane Black's fucking treatment is exactly what I would fucking want off at least Weapon 5. I think 4 got too wacky and too stupid and too Man. whatever. I would like it to be raw and whatever. And it was the idea that was that they're caught up in a storm in New York. Briggs and Murtaugh, they're off doing something or whatever. A shit storm, was it? No, like a, a, an actual a storm. snowstorm. <laughs> a snowstorm. And then whatever happens is that these Blackwater guys who are private security end up like they're they somehow become involved and obviously the only person that can fucking take on private security and mercenaries is fucking Riggs, right? you know what I'm saying? Obviously. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he's this fucking desert snow. Like <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, Find a ah, that's what in the West. <laughs> I like, fuck all this, you know, like, oh, this battery was South Africa, this battery was whatever, this battery's fucking, you know, Japan, you know, and all whatever and it was just like, all right, whatever. Get it back, they fucking talking about things that are going on in America, like Blackwater, private security. Mel would definitely have an own fucking connection with one of the other boys, but coincidentally as well, just I'll wrap this up dead quick, but Mel's new film called Bloodfather. Uh, Is that the one where he has a big beard? He's a beard and he has, like, he has boozy coloured hair. In it. Yes. <laughs> but it's about uh, an A-list actor who fucking loses it all by turning about mad and then it turns on daily like this B movie violent revenge kind of film and it was shown at Cannes and everybody's fucking all about it and so everybody's sort of saying like I now sort of taking a poke at himself and this kind of thing whatever so yeah. in my that. eyes five could happen is he, is he doing a Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder just taking a hand at himself Tim Cruise Tim Cruise Tim Cruise Tim Cruise <laughs> there's this Australian friend of ours and he's just spell uh, so I oh Paul, you know who fucking Team Crease is. <laughs> so, team Team Crease. Team Crease. You know who fucking Team Crease is. So Team Crease, Team Crease. Fucking Tom Cruise. Ah, Team Crease. It's <laughs> <laughs> a stupidest joke ever. <laughs> Language jokes. <laughs> 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 Rhetoric humor. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I took up a lot of time with me kind of me male love. Anyway. At the same time, though, it's completely justified because it's it's very odd that somebody comes on here with an opinion that they want to thrust through the normal structure. There's a, uh, there's a, a lot of my childhood. Mel Mel's responsible for it. Like. <laughs> Style, you should, the you guns. Should, you should uh, report him. Were you fucking? Were you trying to be a sharpshooter down Brahena's away now? <laughs> trying to pack off your neighbours from fucking yeah. four hundred yards away. If I wasn't dressing up as John McLean, I was dressing up as Riggs. Put that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
right, no, me and MP5, no. Back in Pudgy, bitting around your fucking neighbourhood, yeah. feet passing a blood with a wife beater on. Baseball caps and Six years of age. Baseball caps and long hair, I invented that with a dairy. Climbing so, through your neighbour's so annex. Were you saying that like your two kind of childhood heroes were Mel Gibson and Bruce Willis? Uh-huh. What were you raging at more when Mel went mad with the whole Jewish thing or when you just find out Bruce Willis is a bit of a bastard? Um, with Bruce Willis, it's just like, oh, I'm just a bit disappointed. And then you're just like, right. And, um, but I just don't really care. The, the thing is, is that I'm more, I'm more annoyed about Mel Gibson because as, as times went on, you get the see how phenomenally talented the man yep. is like whereas Bruce my opinion is a one no doubt like a star yeah and he's just he's a star and and he takes a fucking cunt out of directors and productions mm-hmm. by being a star yeah whereas Mel Gibson is in pursuit of a good piece of work so I would say Mel for that one like, I agree yeah. Yeah. I do definitely agree with your saying because I think Bruce is a buddy a one-note actor who sometimes, if the material's good enough, can kind of elevate himself up. Like, I think he's pretty good in the Sixth Sense. I think he's pretty good in Unbreakable and stuff like that. Fulfillment. but There are stuff that can kind of make him raise his game up. But I think there's always that sort of very limited still scene of what he can stuff, do. Though, do you know what I mean? Action stuff. I mean, he's, a, he's a good action actor and stuff like that there. And all and, but I remember, like, I watched the Antistance of the Actors Studio. That's, that's, a, that's about an eye-opener of his mm-hmm. techniques, like. Uh, which are known to speak of, <laughs> but uh, he was just like, uh, it's I don't I think it was for me where he didn't talk about a technique like he didn't say like Meisner or, or, or Strasberg he didn't say any of that sort of yeah. stuff. He's just also where where did you where, where where did you get your training and where where, where what would you say is your inspiration? And he's just all uh, so uh, Al Pacino on the Godfather. Yeah, so, all, so basically, guy right, and then he went down. So he's all I just. Now I'm later work, I'm trying to achieve that stillness that he managed to achieve in The Godfather. That's all. It's a bit fucking shit. But, uh, anyway, fuck him. Yeah, but it's sort of strange, because I've never thought that Bruce Wallace is the kind of most expressionistic, if that is a word, of actors. Like, you know, he's always kind of just got that monotone sort of look, and he kind of subtly reacts to stuff, and I think that's his, his think one it, thing. It's his one gimmick. There's an excuse to be fuck all. <laughs> I think it's an excuse to kind of highlight his limitations. Because you ever see um, Three Evening with Kevin Smith? Yeah. Where he talks about the yeah. production of Die Hard 4. I've heard about the stuff about <laughs> Cap Out. That's phenomenal. And then I, the following on the end, Kevin Smith talks about work with him, and I said, uh, Tracy Morgan, I would fucking throw myself in front of a truck for Tracy Morgan. Mm-hmm. He's a, like a loving man. This is Bruce Wallace was easily one of the fucking hardest people I've ever had to work with. Yeah, and what was kind of, I wouldn't say heartbreaking, like my heart wasn't broke for Kevin Smith, but what was kind of sad to see is that, fair enough, Kevin Smith gets a lot of flack and he's kind of hard to feel sympathy for because he's like such a mouth and he's a muddly a mouth. But he said up until that point that he idolised Bruce Wallace like he was one of his childhood heroes uh, and then he says that maybe that's the sort of uh, maybe that sort of fits some of that old saying you should never meet your heroes because he says I met my hero and now I fucking can't stand him because he says that it just shattered the illusion of what he kind of built up Bruce Wallace to be in his head you know what I mean just he's seen the other side of it and he was this diva and he was fucking holding up shoots and like mm-hmm. apparently on the set of Cop Out he was openly Written the director in front of the rest of the crew, and that is just one of the ultimate faux pas. Ultimate no, no, you don't do that in any line of work. 
mm. a college or manager in front of the rest of the team. Mm. Unless they've done something specifically wrong, but Kevin Smith hadn't. It's just because Bruce Wallace done like the way it was going that he thought, I'm Bruce Wallace, I'm above this material, I'm doing this for a fucking paycheck. I can talk down to anybody I fucking want, even my director, and that's just not fucking professional whatsoever. Like. He's a ball back guy. <laughs> he's a ball back guy. He's summed that up. <laughs> they sum it up. He's a ball back. <laughs> it's just, it's just a fucking shame. Like, do you know what I mean? Uh, you know why the fuck? I mean, I, I, uh, a friend of mine had an argument about this before. Uh, Paul Rogers. He was sort of because uh, I personally get fucked off talking about Brando, especially in the later parts of his career when you know he starts hearing their pop ups, noise stories, and things like this here, and you yep. know, and that. Uh, like I, I think it was something like he showed up two weeks later for Apocalypse Now uh, he asked for double what he was originally going to get the studio mm-hmm. says okay it's brand we'll give it to him uh, he hadn't learned the script didn't want to read the script didn't want to read the book uh, he was overweight 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 and uh, he turns around and goes uh, <coughs> I'm just going to improvise the whole thing and there's all these mad texts him reading like fucking Robert Frost and all this kind of stuff and it's just like what the fuck is going yeah. on here I'd have been like Brando get your baldy fat hole off me fucking set <laughs> <laughs> I gave you an Oscar last year Aye. you fucking cunt give you an Oscar a few off. years before and you're literally and back in fucking 1979 this was unheard of he was getting a million fucking dollars they do essentially fucking 10 minutes of screen time see do you know the you know the shot the horror the horror when he lies in the mm. ground Part of that shot wasn't in his contract. So he says, oh, we're just going to do it in the ground uh, and, and do this shot, the horror, the horror, when you're lying in the ground, you're about to die. And he's oh, it's not in the contract, that's 30 grand. <sighs> and you're like, come on, fuck it. You know, and Coppola was against it, and you're like, come fucking on, how much stress is that man under? Yeah, well, the man literally tried to commit suicide. Like, I mean, it's... Who did? Coppola. Did I? Coppola tried to fucking do himself in during the making of... Uh, well, so it's, it's all detailed in... What do you call a documentary? Under the Heart of Darkness. Heart of it's Darkness, obviously it's yeah. it's obviously based on Heart of Darkness, the Joseph Conrad novel. Apocalypse Now book somewhere and some fucking cunt wiped it. Ah, he's serious. It's, it's brilliant. It's a phenomenal read because got it in that bookshop. I got the other phone books this weekend. Got a nice Stanley yes. Cubes one this weekend. Oh, oh. but uh, I know a pain in the fucking hole. Did you know that Apocalypse Now, or no, Star Wars, is an adaptation of the same source material, Heart of Darkness, and that. Uh, I think they wanted Lucas to direct Apocalypse Now. It was his project. Yeah, it's, it Britain. is that he so, wanted him to do it, but he was too focused on Star Wars. Or, or THX, he was making, yeah. or something like that. And then, uh, so Star Wars is, in fact, an adaptation of it. So if you think about it, the Empire is America and the Vietnamese are the rebels. Yeah. You know, if it's to be adapted in that sort of way. Yeah. But it's it's adapted from Conrad's Heart of Darkness. But anyway. It's crazy, actually. Where were we? Yeah, where were we, actually? <laughs> This is um, kind of turned into a topic of egotistical actors. <laughs> we, just, we just run with it. Yeah. Let's go with <laughs> it. We'll just do topics first, then what have we watched? <laughs> <laughs> well, I read them first time. So what have we watched this week, folks? <laughs> would you like to go first, Colm? Or would you like to go first, Michael? I'll go first. Okay. I'll get my bed out and then I can fall asleep, but you still don't. Cheers. I know this week I watched X-Men Apocalypse. Boom. <laughs> It's Straight for the juggler. Not very good. <laughs> I'm surprised. Shut up, be serious. Yeah, I, I was, was it pipe. It wasn't pipe, but like when I walked out of the cinema, I was saying that was all right. But I have these problems with it. But the more I've thought about it, the more problems that have been having with it, and it's mm. just like actually that's. 
probably not a good phone. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Like I haven't seen it for myself, but when you told me, or because I thought that with Batman vs Superman, I we could kind of tell going on it might be that great. But with X Men Apocalypse, I loved First Class. I fucking really loved Days of Future Past. And then there's always Days that sort of brilliant, yeah, there's always that sort of. Uh, <laughs> cliche that you know when Brian Singer's got X-Men material it's always good I mean like the only bad X-Men film that doesn't have his name on it until now bar the spin-offs was X-Men 3 yeah. so everyone he's kind of had a hand on in some way so I thought this was, was going to be part of First Class? He was producer was yeah, he? Yeah he was producer because yeah, producer, yeah, it was Martin Campbell was it? Or no it was Matthew Vaughn Matthew Vaughn, Matthew Vaughn. Vaughn. I always get them mixed up but uh, I just assumed this was a shooting especially after how good the last one was and we asked Isaac and the mix See as soon it, as I saw the Apocalypse thing at the trailer I was all yeah, I guess seen it in Germany. I was just all, so it's gonna be like an Egyptian fucking. Nah, this is pesh. <laughs> <laughs> Even when I seen that wee teaser on who that was with the four horsemen, I was just like, that's gonna be shit. The the, the one thing that worried I me just had a feeling like one but thing that worried me is it's and I know obviously just for you to get in there because you can con- confirm all our doubts or whatever else now is obviously I haven't seen it. I'm gonna go see it this week, but Oscar Isaac, who we've says is fucking probably one of our favourite current actors and he's not going to the park and everything he seems to touch turns to gold and it's not his fault obviously but when I seen the design of Apocalypse from reading storylines and comics with Apocalypse as a child I felt it looked pretty naff you know what I mean I, 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 don't, I don't think he looked the part especially concerning like Apocalypse is supposed to be way bigger way more kind of physically imposing and for me he just seemed like he was like wearing this kind of strange sizes too. purple I can change sizes he does like the human form and all those uh, but uh, anyway tell me the problems well, just to start off, I w- it's not the worst X-Men film. I'd say it's the worst of Brian Singer's X-Men films because mm. all his other ones have been great. This just this one has a lot of problems. Like, There's some good stuff. There's some good action in it. There's some nice comedy. There's, there's good relationships between the established characters. But it's all kind of incidental stuff. It's like a, like a conversation between like Rose Byrne and James McAvoy. Like, it's, it's funny because they're like, at the end of first class, he wipes her memory, so she doesn't know him, but he knows her, and yeah. they, like they kind of play that for laughs and stuff. And the guy that plays Havoc has a nice relationship, they James McAvoy and stuff, and it, it's all good stuff there. But it's it's all just unimportant to the plot. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just it's nice kind of word building, but it's wasting time. Uh, there's just there's nothing. Uh, there's nothing propelling it forward. Like. An apocalypse. He's just a boring villain. As a, like one of those villains, I want to take over the world, and that's basically just his only sort of goal. There's no explanation for that goal. Just, Let's have a fucking uh, war. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I, 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 like, it I'm, seems to be like there must be there must be some sort of tax incentive to have a war at the end of these films. Let's have a fucking war. Or a tax, or or just fucking as as we said before, just that lazy writing fucking trope of like having just a villain who's a villain for the sheer fact of being a villain like he's just, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's just bad for the sake of being he's bad. bad he's got oh, no he just motives so bad. he's so bad <laughs> he's a bad man he's gonna take over the world he's gonna take over the world that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> the, film, the film starts off and we're back in the Egyptian times by Apocalypse and that whole sequence is actually really good it starts off strong there, like there's a whole kind of demolition of this pyramid and stuff and that's how apocalypse gets trapped for thousands of years and then but uh but when he when he wakes back up then he just see, he sees the way the world is and he doesn't like that mutants haven't flourished and like there's humans everywhere so he just basically wants to wipe it all clean and start anew 
Which uh, it's it's grand incentive, like, but but that's just like it, a more extreme Magneto, like really, in there. Yeah, and, and that's and that sort of goal, that sort of motive, and it doesn't really go any further than that. Then, like, like yeah. you kind of have that explanation, and that's it. I mean, because he has his four, he has his four horsemen, then, so he goes off to get his four horsemen. But there doesn't seem to be any reason why he's getting these four people. It's just the first four people that he meets, and he doesn't really need their help. He's just doing it because He's that's what Apocalypse does. God, like, we all... Exactly, like, nah, if he wants to destroy I, I, the I world, he can hand. destroy the world himself. Yeah, he can do it, Because eh? no he, he comes up with this whole plan of... Because Mag- four, his four horsemen is Storm, Magneto, Angel, or Archangel, and then fucking Olivia Munn's character, Shylock or something. Ah, it's Psylocke. 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 Shylock. That's that's fucking derogatory. Tell us, do we not laugh? Richly fucking explained it there. She deserves it. Shylock, sir. Sort of singing we tracks from Oliver and all. You go after that pocket. It's all the juice. But yeah, like Psylocke, guy, they're fucking like, yeah. are volatile things. Paul Giamatti plays fucking Psylocke. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she doesn't give out fucking lens. Just that's. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, should we sign on her saying no subs? <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is. Like. Uh, she is you know. quite standoffish. But is she, um, <laughs> is she near? Is she like a fucking fletcher? Like just Woody Allen and the fucking <laughs> world. Is she I, just, co- I, I just don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> is she a coy mistress? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just these mutants. I, I don't know. <laughs> That's <was> crazy. <laughs> Continue. But so Apocalypse Go gets his horsemen, and there's no really reason for it. Like, and um. There's a really weird part as well because, as I said, like the relationships between the established characters, they're all really great, and the new people that they introduce of the younger mutants. So you have like a new young Storm, and she's she's really good, but she has like one scene where she talks to any kind of purpose, and the rest of it she's just in the background, standing behind the apocalypse. Like, but then you have Ty Sheridan as the new Cyclops. He's really good. Fuck, I like Ty Sheridan. He's good. He, the the character's really good because it's like uh, because Cyclops is like the leader of the X Men, so inherently he's a bit boring. But because he's younger, they give him a bit of an age, and he's kind of more of a kind of rebel, kind of wild child kind of thing. That's cool, actually, because Jean, Jean Grey. Yeah, Jean Grey's and Sophie Turner plays her. She's all really? right. I fe- I fe- a lot of people really like that uh, her adaptation of Jean Grey. No, I I she's all right. Like like the way she's kind of introduced, it just makes her come off as a cunt. But she she kind of improves uh, throughout the film. Then, yeah, but I'm still a bit undecided as or as Jean Grey. You just wanted to be Sansa, now about Sansa. <laughs> is there too much shit in the box? Just no, no just too many cooks by Labrador. Like shit in the box, just too much going on. No, no, no. This this is what I'm saying. The the younger characters that they introduce, like G- Jean Grey's fine. Like I don't have a problem with her, and she has a, like a cool moment towards the end. But uh, then you have Cody Schmidt, Mc- Cody Smith McPhee. Playing the, the new Nightcrawler, he's he's really good. He's class. Uh, he's really funny in it, and he he just seems to kind of get the character. And very talented young actor. So all all the new kind of younger uh, mutants are kind of cool. Quicksilver's back as well. He is a he is a great moment again. Is this, as a th- is this where he tells uh, 
fucking mistake that that he's magnificent. Aye, well that that's a wee yeah. funny bit, yeah, it? but no, he trailer completely. <laughs> <laughs> no, but well, uh, there's there's a like. there's a couple of great moments with him and just using his speed. Like I think Brian Singer really gets how that power and what you can use it visually and how you can make it funny and how you can just make it entertaining. And I think he has a great was, few in, moments with In Days of Future Past, that now you can have, even though Days of Future Past is now two years old, that's, that, that sequence now I think is already famous. I think it's one of the best sequences of the past maybe five years. It's mm. so well handled. But I suppose this new sequence, one, is it essentially like again a cameo? Like he's got like one or two scenes? No, he's, he's, he's in it longer this time but he's still kind of in the background but he has his moments it's kind of cool though that I mean you're saying that the new scene kind of loved up the, the last one because I think that would have been a, an uphill struggle to kind of mm. get it to match what he done in Days of Future Past because that's kind of become iconic already like yeah to be honest I was quite worried when I seen all these new cast doing a broadband ad because mm. I didn't did, even see that <laughs> they didn't do it for any of them and it was this joke that Quicksilver couldn't do all the stuff really fast and all and you know, uh, but it's, it's fiber optic broadband. He's all and he's a, a fucking quick show. Yeah, and then he's all <laughs> he fast do enough for you or some shit yeah, like that. It's like, oh, come really on. But sure, but you know, but but sure, for Days of Future Past, they were doing like burger adverts. They were doing like Cars Junior adverts. Like I said something. before, it's all part of the machine, but it's all part of the machine. It's all part of the machine, but not part of the machine. <laughs> the ghost in the machine. Sure, even fucking <laughs> uh, just just go on that uh, very quickly, as you know yourself. I'm a fucking huge Man United fan, and. United have been getting that. Have you seen this? No. no I don't United know have United have been getting a serious amount of flack over the past week because that team is essentially about conglomerate and apparently they're like the most brand savvy team on earth or some shit like that. Before United came out for their last match on Tuesday night in the Premier League against Bournemouth, there was this commercial tie-in that the players had to come out with small mutant mascots. Really? So. <laughs> So there was a Jesus. small, like, there was a small Nightcrawler, like a Wayne dressed as Nightcrawler, oh. and then there's a video online. Watch it after. It is truly fucking horrendous. <laughs> it's James McAvoy, and what, what the fuck do you call it again? The, what do you call Cerebro. it? Cerebro. Cerebro. It's James McAvoy and Cerebro, and he's looking all around the world for these uh, mutants, and he eventually contacts Wayne Rooney, and Wayne Rooney and him have a discussion, and it is one of the worst things you've ever seen oh. in your life. Has James God. McAvoy, like, specially recorded this thing, or is it, like, a clip from I the phone? I think it, it seems like it's a clip from my phone, but they've kind of shoehorned in Rooney, and it just does not work whatsoever. <laughs> Rooney, Rooney? Rooney is, like, a fucking human chest of drawers. <laughs> like, I mean, he's wooden as fuck, like. <laughs> uh, what was it? It was the fucking, I seen that film. I remember, I flicked it over one day, it was one of them. Lying on the sofa, scratch my balls, just came on. Feed up, that out. I was like, hey, well, I don't know about that, but uh, I was just <laughs> watching watch was there. fucking cabbage, and it was either that or Iron Man, because it's always on E4, so it was all, no, I'll give Iron Man a rest today. He's been busy. Oh, he's been busy. But uh, give him a rest today, because I've seen it about a million fucking times now, because there's nothing else on, Iron Man's always on. T4's version of fucking Sean the Dead yeah, on ATV2. Like, <laughs> Iron Man's on right now. Is it? Was, it was, is it? I don't know. <laughs> Probably. 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 <laughs> but uh, it was a goal. It was a football film. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. But the wee fella has to go. Uh, it's he moves to Newcastle. Fucking, no, no, no. It's Dominic. Uh, no, it's not that. Dominic fucking. Kepper? No, the fucking West. bastard. Dominic West. Uh, Banner Brothers. Is it Dominic? No. No, you're thinking of fucking Damien Lewis. Damien Lewis. Lewis. He's his dad, and he has a sort of a dodgy accent. Sort, and he hands him these two tickets to go see fucking Newcastle. Liverpool. Is it? No, Liverpool play, 
and then uh, he doesn't get uh, I got that uh, fucking gets taken out or something and then, <laughs> and then the wee fall is just by, a, by a wayward volley uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is this true? Uh, oh, yours, <laughs> and then I get taken out just but, uh, <laughs> but fuck uh, the wee fall is just like fucking he's all I'm fucking going to this game I don't give a shit whatever and all and then uh, was, was his son Ringo Starr <laughs> well, Liverpool yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't get too bad I like, hope oh. but uh I don't want to he fucking he, he busts his candy ass out of fucking you know uh the, the school he was in or whatever because his mad died or something he was an orphan and she got hot went over head kick that she she got a bicycle kick up us now but, uh, like, remember the last time we went to a football match <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. half our family died I'm oh, sorry half our family died kid <laughs> half our family died kid <laughs> I'll share had him or one of them look as he had kicks in the back I had <laughs> 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 slow motion look at yeah. kicks just took her fucking head uh, clean off anyway you go uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway uh, you go I like, was fucking clear on his lines I'm getting the way I'm telling <laughs> we fall out fucking uh whatever he says oh no i'll honor my dad and i'll go and go to this fucking match because you know he you know this is a day in washington whatever and it wasn't his day in washington he didn't know he was dead but i mean anyway we fall sort of sets off and fucks off and over to europe and all and does all these different things and all and all these trials and tribulations of fucking oh the fucking the car broke down and then he meets these fans and then back and but I can't remember if it's like England or Liverpool but anyway I'm astounded that you stuck this film because you really don't like football I'm astounded that you give it the chance I, I, I don't like football for one simple reason it's fucking shit apart from that he loves uh, well the fall didn't really have much football in it it was a sort of a uh, going through Europe and all coming of age sort of thing. It's one of these things where boys are stepping in. This French boy stepped on my fancy haircut and they look fat. And I was all bet you he's a footballer or something. <laughs> it was probably fucking and there was probably a man yell pate for all I knew. Like, hey, let me tell you something. The fact that you know pate's even surprised me. <laughs> This is why I stopped watching football. Arsenal sold Pate and Overmars in one week, and I was all, fuck, that's why I Anyway, for fuck all as well, they were worth more than that. Literally 17 years ago, uh, still holds a grudge against the whole game of football. That's it, Overmars in the bag of my tab, and I'm like, fucking cunt. Just bought this. Anyway, just fucking bought this here, you fucking bastards. Anyway, that's besides the point. But, uh, so he gets the fucking game, anyway, bye bye. Backing up your point about Rooney, I probably could have said this in two sentences, but I. Rooney, so and then. Podcast could be done in 10 minutes. Uh, uh, <laughs> probably could have. But, uh, and then it's this big dirty CGA shot of coming out of the pit and all. And then, uh, it sounds like Rooney has some line like, uh, Are you ready, my son? Or something really shit. Like, or, uh, or like fucking. Uh, Son, 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 my son, or son, son, brother, and it's just like you the ready, worst. Kidda? You ready, kid? I'll see you down the fucking pitch, man. And then I'll see you on the pitch, son. But it's son, really shite, and it's just a big dirty green screen job. He shot it in fucking Liverpool somewhere, and they just fucked it into this middle of this actual stadium in France or something. He wasn't even fucking there. He, he wasn't even there. He wasn't even fucking there. <laughs> he was shooting at McDonald's. Fucking, and he's just all here. I have to do a few for this fucking film. I have to say, like, so and so, my son, or something. Go and fucking just keep going. I'll do this here. I'll give you a ten or whatever, and I'll send them. Just... Uh, no, nah, but, ah, uh, you're right, Ty. 
They're footballers, not actors. What the fuck? What are they thinking? <laughs> well, sure, all them goal films have footballers on Like, there's Aye. three of them. Goal, no, it wasn't goal. goal. Two, I don't goal think it was three. goal. It was something else. No, nah, because I don't think Rennie's in goal. It must be an R film. Yeah, like. It's an R and goal's all about fucking... Some young fella who fucking plays for Newcastle. Like, fucking... Beckham was in a goal. Essentially Real Madrid man. trying to buy <laughs> every country. Like, you know, which is pretty much true. Anyway, but, uh, Aye, so X-Men... <laughs> Aye. <laughs> X-Men. Um, no, yeah, like, as as I was saying, all the kind of new, younger mutants, they're all pretty cool. Like, it's kind of setting up that they're going to take over, or that, like, they're the new team of X-Men now, because everyone else's contracts have run out. <laughs> <laughs> but I heard there's no cameo from... Uh, a wolf. Like, horny wolves. Like, wolf. Or... What, what, which, what, what was he in, in Striker? He was number X ten or no? X ten was it? I don't know. X ten. Oh, you just call him X when you. More like they're going <laughs> up to X ten, so no flick. I Wolverine's on there. It's an all right cameo. They, they, I heard he just fucking slices. I know, like <laughs> once he actually everybody. once he actually comes out, he just fucking just kills everyone basically. Anyone that's there, they're dead. What is the excuse for him not being there? Considering that he played, I know obviously that. Days of Future Past is a time travel one, but he. But this is set in the past. Oh, yeah, this, this is in the past. This is set in the eighties. Oh fuck! I didn't know that. It's set in the eighties. Yo toe. Yo toe. That's why you have. That's why you have young Cyclops. Younger Cyclops. Young Jean Grey. Okay. Because I haven't read much onto the narrative, but then certainly, obviously, Wolverine had the cameo in First Class. So. I know. Uh, I don't really want to spoil where you see him, but. Where the fuck does he come from? Does he come from the future? No, it's 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 Wolverine of that timeline. Does he have big? Is his is he is, is metal? He's got a big no, bone. He's metal. metal at this point. Strikers had a fucking touch him sure, at this how point. Sure, the fuck does that happen? Because it happened when when because Stryker... they find him in Strikers' place. Aye, <laughs> well, when Strikers spoilers for X Men Apocalypse, <laughs> you see Wolverine in Strikers' fucking hole. Just like. after the fucking, he's got a wild touch of him. I don't, but that doesn't make sense for the first Wolverine film. I, well, the I, first, no, the, the but first that's first been eradicated. So that's gone canon. Days Days of Future Past wiped all that out, apart from the the pre nineteen seventy three stuff. Sure, that was the thing I loved. Which kind of fucked Deadpool because the Wade Wilson stuff happened before seventy three. Yeah, so he's still shit. What I loved as well <laughs> is that fucking uh, somebody says that Days of Future Past should have just been called the reset, but everybody was just like, Jean Grey's alive. Huh? What the fuck? <laughs> anyway, summer up now. We the new X Men film. Uh, well, just couple couple more things. There's there's a very odd scene. Magneto and Professor X they have a really great relationship. You've seen that built up from First Class and then and Days of Future Past and and this one. They don't have enough screen time together. You want to see that relationship build more, and you don't really. But there's there's a nice moment where. James McAvoy is using Cerebro to find Eric. And Wayne Rooney. And Wayne Rooney. <laughs> and, uh, but then they have like this conversation in Magneto's head. Like he's talking to him because he can feel him in his head. Kinda. So, uh, But during this whole scene, which is a nice scene between Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy, in the background, Apocalypse is there with the rest of his gang of horsemen. And he's literally designing their outfits. <laughs> <laughs> he's like adding a wee bit of armor on the angel's outfit and then giving him a face tattoo. What? <laughs> and it's just like, what actually is this film? You have fucking uh, 
Apocalypse designing outfits be- behind a fucking emotional moment it seems like between fucking Magneto on PS1 and PS2 games when you get create a character. It, <laughs> that's what it is. Is it, is it played for laughs? No, it's it's just that. Oh, that's is it that's. Like a big hand <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. sitting so like fuck. We can't do fuck. I'm up. You see, that's that's another <laughs> problem. We have PlayStation controller. We customize a car in the fucking computer game. Stack of detail shots. It's like thumbs just rattling on the controller. He gets the idea from playing it. He's just all lower at they fuck. Playing a car game. Don't like a shade of green. But that's the spoiler to be bigger on the Picture, picture out the stinger and I don't know how the fucking end the apocalypse goes, but I'm assuming that apocalypse might be killed off or something like that. But picture that stinger, right? It's out in this desert and stuff like that there, and then there's this big tracking shit, and you see this wee PS fucking two controller sitting on the fucking sand, and you just see his big fucking finger tap it. Hey boys, and I'm all Jesus Christ. He's customizing again. He's customizing. He's <laughs> back at it. The fucking apocalyptic bastard. Go on, I'm like, not safe. But that's that's another problem with apocalypse. Like his main power is kind of like he can kind of control atoms or something. Like he can disintegrate stuff or like build stuff and all this here. But the way they show that visually, it's just like a kind of cloud of particles. So it's really boring. They watch. I hate your name, fashion design from fucking London College as well. Like. Because. There's there's a bit where he's like basically destroying a whole mm. city, and you think that would be quite dramatic and kind of cool action, or whatever. It's just mm. a bunch of cloud particles just yeah. floating away, basically, so, and it's just like that's th- the most boring way you could visually show that. Yeah. Like. So say if he took out because this is X Men Apocalypse, right? Say if it was called Apocalypse, could it be called Apocalypse? He missed us calling. Which was obviously a fashion design. <laughs> and he, he answers like Project Runway or something. Because I ain't got my fuck with the seamstress. <laughs> America's uh, next uh, top apocalypse. Hi, hi. America's top apocalypse. <laughs> top apocalypse? Uh, a top uh, apocalypse? Uh, a top apocalypse. <laughs> but that's a weird. That's a weird thing with the costumes as well. That like Storm, Angel, and Magneto all get like cool kind of. New armor stuff, and then Psylocke gets like thigh high boots. And oh, of course, not much else because <laughs> she's played by LFM on, obviously. But like, Brian Singer has never really done that before, you know. Yeah. Like, he's he's kind of always made like sensible yeah. outfits for the X Men. It seems like all yeah. the cocaine's got the singer in this one. Like, yeah. no, it <laughs> seems like it's finally caught up. It's like showing the whole shot, you know, when they turn around, they're putting all the Batman suits, and then it just turns around. You see Val Kilmer's hole on screen. <laughs> Wait, what am I looking? Wait a minute, I got this. It's a favorite of Michael Bay's as well. The amount of times that you see fucking Megan Fox bent over, lean over a bike or something like that in the Transformers series is incredible. I like, fucking know him did it as well. Transformers, I started calling them Megan Fox Two, <laughs> Megan Fox Three, Megan Fox Three. She's not yeah. in the third one. Uh oh. Yeah, we only obviously seen the first two. <laughs> well, it's called fucking whatever the Rosie hunting and Whiteley. Rosie, whatever one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm. You know yeah, you're right ahead of me there. <laughs> I know all the names. Um, yeah. Another thing, a lot of people have been saying this, so I don't really want to go on about it too much. But Jennifer Lawrence doesn't give a great performance in this film, and it seems like she had it somewhere put in some kind of contract that make this film the least amount of time she has to spend in the Mystique uniform or makeup well, or whatever. It's probably definitely a reaction after the whole, well, let's be honest with you, everybody knows about the whole fucking nude hacking thing and stuff like that because you know what that kind of set her back up with? You obviously know about this. 
Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know what's that. What that's in reference to her playing Mystique, though. Well, obviously, with the Mystique costume, it kind of leaves nothing to the imagination. You know what I mean? So I'm assuming that because she's sort of semi-nude, only with a layer of makeup, maybe after the whole was nude hack thing, was she felt like the when she was dressing up as Mystique. It was, bef- it, was bef- it was before the the shooting this last film, like, but I'm. Did I, that I, happened before Daisy Future Pass? August 2014. Fucking the shit, But uh, no, the only reason being. Because I'm not a creep, but uh, the reason being is that she's come out a lot of times and said that she's been the most vocal about that sort of nude yeah. hacking thing, and saying that she actually sees it as, and I suppose she's right in a way. She sees it as almost like a sexual assault, like a very oh, completely yeah. kind of straight, like a, yeah. an out there form of sexual assault, which I do personally agree with too. But I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't see it as any coincidence that. She wanted to maybe lower sort of semi nudely after that's mm. happened because she, she probably felt about self conscious. She did say though that uh, having the blue, she says, "Well, it's sort of joking still, but she just says it gets in fucking everywhere." She says, I, "I'm fucking cleaning blue off me for like a week or two. I, she's never me. made any secrets of that. She hates getting dressed up. Oh, see, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But the, like the, this time round, they actually did it a different way. That she's not actually painted blue. You know, it's actually like an outfit, like like." like a latex kind of outfit that they put on her so she doesn't have, so it, takes, it, ta- it takes like way less time or whatever but uh yeah i think she just hates being in the outfit so they just kind of wrote most of her in normal looking way normal gin but the final thing and it's it's just a bit of a weird kind of thing that they did is x-men first class is set in the 60s days future past is set in the 70s now this is set in the 80s and so, like, you have Rose Byrne's character, Moira McTaggart, who was in the first uh, first class. <laughs> Hasn't aged a day. Hey, <laughs> she has not aged 20 years. And for that matter, no one has aged 20 years in this film. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just about all. Like, it sounds cool. Like, oh, we'll do one in the 60s and 70s and 80s. But then if you actually think about it, it's like, like, so what, Jennifer Lawrence, like, Mystique was, what, 18 in first class. So now she's 38. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just a bit odd to think about it in that way, because she's in, she even has a it's speech. Definitely set in the eighties. Yeah, is, it, is there a big deal made about it? Like, aye, well, they say it's ten years after the events of nineteen seventy three, which is Days of Future Past. Yeah, is Bolivar Trask? And again, the only reason I say his name, aka Peter Dinklage, is because I think it's one of the best names ever come out of the <laughs> fucking cinema. He's not in it. He's no, not in it, unfortunately. No. Is they can only have one Game of Thrones actor at a time, can they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they drafted on Sophie Turner from. It's a contract. Did they use, did they use the same actor for Striker? Is Striker in it as well? Yeah, Striker's in it, die, and from Days of Future Past, he yeah, has the same, same guy. Actor. Cool, cool. Cool. Hasn't aged a day. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of looks like Stuffler Free Brother, doesn't he? Aye. Aye. He does, aye. He does kind of have. Nah, Probably. it's not Sean Wines, Scott. Like, no, no, Stuffler's no, Wee Bro. Wee Brother. I don't American, remember. Like American Pie 2, you know? Uh, oh, fuck, I can't remember that far back. He he would be older than that now, though. Like, how long goes American Pie 2? He's a big dude, like, so he's... You know, he was playing, like, a, probably an 18-year-old, but he was probably, like, 20 fucking 8 or something. Anyway, we're getting caught up. Anyway. I swear. <laughs> Sean wants to move on. <laughs> Alright, Sean. Uh, <laughs> Talk about X-Men for about fucking half an hour. <laughs> X-Men. Um, yeah. It's it's an alright film. If you're into X Men, I'd say give it a watch. But it's the worst of the singer ones, but probably better than Last Stand. I think there's, there's some good action in there. There's some nice character moments and stuff. But ultimately, it leaves you unfulfilled. I would say. Can I say one, one more thing, just quickly about it? Is that the thing? I think 
it's one of Singer's biggest strengths is that he's constantly uh, used like like a, a racism character in it a lot. You know, and he's used it for racism or uh, for any kind of uh, ostracized or uh, minority. And he's always it's always been in the duality, and that's always been the kind of the strength of his ones. Yeah, I sort of maybe maybe that's. You know, because even even in Days of Future Past, like they're hiding out and they have to fucking yeah. you know, and it, it's just like it's really I can't tell people who I am and this kind of thing and all. Mm. And, but like the biggest heroes because they have to stretch the furthest and stuff. And this is sort of it's always been a thing. And I don't know, the sounds of what you're saying, it sounds like it's sort of not there. I mean, it, it's always sort of going to be there in a, in a strand. But well, the mm. fact that he he he, uh, he always did quite well with that. Even I mean, it sounds terrible, but but having Peter Dinklage, you know. Yep. The boss, you know, being, you know, Ballard. small and this kind of stuff like yeah. that. There, it's sort of, it plays on that even more. It's another, you know, and they do. There's lots. Of, I mean, I, I could go on, but there's lots of different things like that that are that are deliberate castings and this kind of thing. Definitely, but they, <clears throat> they, they do, they do bring that up in the film. But I think what it, it, it's losing out is they, they never really bring up the human elements in this film that you never you never think oh apocalypse is going to wipe out all the humans they never kind of show that impact or yeah. they never show the x-men trying to save them they yeah. just humans aren't really talked about so you don't really have that kind of duality there i, I, I think it was nothing like most x-men films from what i've seen and this is probably going to open up an hour later discussion <laughs> but uh in most x-men films i've seen you don't see the human side i think it's almost like do you really have to because obviously as humans no but they they, they always have the humans like like they've had like the Senate things where they're talking about what to yeah, do. But, about but the I've always, I've always, character. I've always personally thought that that's some of the weakest stuff. I mean, like obviously that sort of stuff's thrown in there just to kind of show bad humans as like sort of basically real life antagonists against like the mutants. Like, oh, we should lock them up. All oh, they're not real people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think that is just like a narrative necessity to have on there. But all are not there. If you could buy no, it, no, past, no, it no, but that's the contrast. Mm. That's like contrast, and then they show what Professor X is trying to do. No, and- of course. I mean, and obviously, it's I, I totally agree. They're there as a foil, but as I'm saying, they're like a narrative necessity. They have to be there, but it's usually kind of the most mundane stuff because you've got these kind of white bread actors going up there and just kind of doing their best fucking political spill, and it's basically just the as you said contrast what well, the X Men want. Well, I think where, where in Apocalypse, not having that kind of side, did it, it? It feels a bit empty. You think so? Yeah. Well, I suppose I haven't seen it, so I can't. But, really the, but just no, there's no, there's no humans in general yeah. in Apocalypse. I mean, like, like you don't. The whole you don't point have any of, of, of having humans in it is, and as you rightly point out, is that the humans are the enemy. I mean, because what you relate to. You know, if you are an outsider, or you know, if you've ever felt that way, as you relate to the mutants yeah. as an outsider, or, or or even slightly, even ever feeling that way, and that the humans are the enemy, and it, it's suppose it's that's that's the metaphor. Yeah. And if they're not there, then the metaphor is not there, and then that's what I think. I always thought that was one of the more sophisticated parts. But of I've, I've always thought yeah, as well. I mean, but I've always thought too that don't get me wrong, I've always liked that as well because I mean, actually, personally, when watching Days of Future Past. In seeing the Sentinels hunt out the mutants, and this is just a personal thing, I don't think of this the imagery they were trying to go for, but on a personal level, because the Sentinels were that, for me, for like a 12A, scary and kind of unsettling and how fucking ruthlessly efficient they were, I actually kind of viewed the Sentinels as like the SS, and I kind of seen the mutants as almost like Jewish. It was almost like, you know, like the eradication 
mm-hmm. of fucking and I'm not saying obviously that's not what Singer was going for but that's why I seen it in my head and that uh, kind of gave me an even more kind of a more unsettling fucking view of these Sentinels and stuff uh, like that but then at, at the same time I totally get where you're coming from but I just think that the X-Men universe is that big and there's so many characters that I that is a driving force behind it but then when you have someone like Apocalypse like you said he's poorly written if he was better written then he should be able to himself through that character and through what he's trying to do create the antagonism and create the sort of engagement that you're looking for you shouldn't always have to rely on that because it's been done in every single film you shouldn't always have to rely on the fact that all us mutants are different we're trying to live our own lives humans don't like us because you know they've done that in essentially every X-Men film right? I know I'm not saying you needed that air but <clears throat> you needed some kind of human level in it yeah. And just there's there's none of that. Mm. Like you never really uh, have any side of the human. I don't think it needs to be there because it's like if you ever describe a film in one way or in one word. So like for example, Batman Begins, fear. Yeah. Or like you know you know what I mean, like that kind of thing. What if the humans are in it? It's there to illustrate. You know, it's there to reinforce that one word of what what is that? What is this film in one word? If you know what I mean. Or what it's trying to say, and I mean, every time they show up, they obviously illustrate a different uh, point of view. It's not always the same point of view; it's a different facet of a point of view. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think no, I, I, I would if it's not there, I'll I definitely not one like one like it. No. Yeah. Boom. But I haven't seen them. <laughs> <laughs> so we've done it. We've got the end of that X Men Marathon. X Men. X Men, X Men, Professor Xavier, X Men, X Manica. Sorry. <laughs> Just really quickly, I watched Bad Neighbors two this week as well, and mm. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Did, Did you? Because I love the first one. Same year. I think the first one is a Brilliant. fucking underrated. Watch it all night. Uh, Same year. I, I watched it Wednesday night because <laughs> it, ju- it just went up on Netflix, yeah. and uh, obviously with the the second one just released, I thought you know what, I'll refresh my memory. But I, I think the first one's fucking brilliant. I know. Hoo-ah! I, 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 I <laughs> really your references it. all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what, a, what I heard about the second one before actually going to, going to see it is that it kind of, it's that whole comedy sequel thing that it brings back jokes and so they're not as funny and stuff like that. But I honestly didn't feel any. I mean, they bring back some stuff like the airbags and stuff, but they use them in a different way. And even though it's, a, it's obviously the same story, like a sorority moves in next door rather than a fraternity, but the actual beats of it and what they actually do to try and get rid of them and stuff, it's all different and it actually felt fresh. It didn't feel like they were treading over the same ground. Do I'm assuming the Zac Efron and Seth Rogen, they team up this time? Aye. Because obviously Zac Efron <laughs> won't be at Uni anymore, he knows the ins and outs. Is the, uh, it's, it's not a fraternity, isn't that, what do you call it again? A sorority? sorority yeah. Is it, it's Chloe Moretz? Aye, Chloe Moretz is, she starts her own sorority because this is an actual law in America that sororities aren't allowed to throw parties. Only fraternities can. Jesus Christ. Talk about institutionally <laughs> sexism. <laughs> no, Fuck me. Hey. Because anytime they say that in the film, someone's always all like, really? <laughs> it's like, is that a thing? Jesus. But hey, that's an actual thing. So Chloe Moretz and a couple of her friends that she meets at a sorority meeting of a different one, she, they start their own sororities, then they're the sorority that can party. I want to see this because I enjoyed the first one. I really enjoyed the first one. I really enjoyed it. You should it go see it tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Too uh, funny. Uh, too funny. Anyway, continue. Uh, so it, it has that kind of nice kind of fuck sexism thing in it, but then just actually watching it, and the first one has it as well, that it has this kind of... It appeals to these two different audiences of you have the young people that are in uni and they're partying, but then it ultimately, it's ultimately about like, oh, what do you do after that? And what are you going to do for the rest of your life? And so younger people 
like us, you know. <laughs> can, hip, can, hip kids can can relate to that I'm, and kind of. I'm down with the children. And can kind of <laughs> and can kind of see that and get some, something from no. it. Oh, no, <laughs> no, that's no, that's, no, that's, 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 that's something else. Eh? That's, that's that's an hour shot of bad neighbor. But then you have Seth Rogen and Rose Burns character. Rose Burns better film of the week. Uh, I she's my very favorite. I know Sarah oh, all the time, but she is my very oh, very she's favorite. My favorite. Bobby Cannavale's fucking got a sense of her. Are they going about the genius? She's they go from fucking the wanker and bridesmaids, the X Men. They fucking she's brilliant and bad neighbor. She's fucking she's unreal. Brilliant and spy as well. She's class and as well. She's I really mean, great at comedy. Even but I mean like she's really great at comedy. But then even the sort of basic stuff that you look at I mean uh, Jesus Christ what else what, what was the one wasn't the top of my tongue or now mm. like even like uh, like the first Insidious and stuff like that fair enough it's standard horror fair, but nah, she can ramp it up dramatically too I think Insidious oh, she too can, oh, she yeah, said yeah, yes I can but anyway but uh, yeah I was just going to say then you have Seth Rogen and Rose Burns character who in the first one they just had a baby and they're trying to deal with parenthood but then this one they're questioning are they bad parents or not and they have like another baby on the way and stuff and like I think older people you know, like us, <laughs> can can re- relate to that kind of, like, if you're thinking about having a baby or something, or if you're just about to get married or something like that, you know, you, you, you can relate to things in that air as well. I think it's actually a really good point you just made there now, because I never thought about it this way before, but don't get me wrong, I mean, you see, like, a spit of, like, the sort of Apatow produced comedies, you know, that sort of mid-20s, the, early uh, 30s and stuff like that. Nicholas Stoller. Right? Nicholas Stoller, right? I don't think they've, is this is an Apatow, is it? No, I don't, no, I, no, but I'm saying I don't like they've I'm, ever crossbred. No, but I'm saying like I never crossbred. They had a uh, five-year engagement, haven't they? Possibly. I don't know. Anyway, I know I was there. I'm just talking about that sort of basically the new kind of breath of fresh air that was breathed on the comedy in the early two thousands. You know, like forty old birds and this sort of apatow revolution in comedy. And I like a lot of them, or some of them. Not I'm not too fond of them, but I think that obviously bad neighbors takes a lot from that. But why I think that maybe we like it or why I like it so much and I've never actually kind of thought about it a lot is we've most days have just finished uni about three or four years ago so it's still fresh in our minds and you're very nostalgic and let's be honest we most days kind of want to go back that time so it gives you that side but then yeah. Seth Rogen and Rose Burns character they're kind of basically us lit 20s now like not knowing what the fuck they do me on the dole yes but like <laughs> obviously not having a fucking clue like so I uh, maybe uh, you're you're exactly right. That does kind of give you both sides. I've never yeah. actually thought about it that way. Maybe that's why it speaks to me uh, a bit more. Honestly, well, it's just very really funny. The, you the know, whole, the whole it's well observed. The whole first one is about about age. There's mm. all of it. Like it's it's about growing up, or it's about and it's a, it's a constant push and pull of it. You know, uh, because like they they want to go out and party, but then they have a baby as well. Like, no, of days. course, so there's that. But I mean, uh, the, the thing the thing which is a big thing is. Uh, which is really well written with uh, Dave Franco and Zac Efron, as like you're you're afraid of growing up. Yeah, yeah. Where I'm growing up, and like it, it's all about generational things. And there, there was a love like, as I watched it tonight. There was a great moment where it all starts to uh, there's like a, there's a couple of moments in it where you think this is quite simple, and then it sort of it reverses on itself a few times, and it, it, it's. I think the, f- the first one's a lot better than what people give it credit for. Yeah. I think the first one's very good, but I, I, I'm dying to see this, this new one. Right? I think, too, what, what you're saying about that. the whole relationship with Dave Franco and Zac Efron, about the fact that Dave Franco's obviously very smart and kind of wants to go into bigger and better things, and he's already thinking about his career after and stuff like that, whereas Zac Efron's Is Franco still... on it? Yeah. 
I'm sorry. Go. Whereas Zach Efron's still caught up in that I'm a uni, let's get fucked up non stop and let's yeah. you know, let's not think about the future until we get there. And it's so actually pretty poignant because I was thinking to myself recently that there's a lot of people I know who maybe didn't party as much at uni and still had a really good time, but they always kinda had their eye on the prize and were kinda making plans for the future and now they're in really good jobs and I was thinking about this recently and I I don't do that. Were you the Zach Efron of I, I was the Zach Efron. I was like I I I fuck I wish I looked like I'm like but that <laughs> I uh, I didn't do that and uh you know what I mean and a lot of people don't do that and then it's kinda especially when you live in you know, somewhere we like somewhere where, like where we live and there's not a lot of jobs, you fucked. <laughs> 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 but Zach Zach Efron in the first one as well, like he he had risen to the peak of what he wanted to do was would yeah. be the president of a fraternity yeah. like his his presidency was just the party basically yeah. and that was the best thing he could think of his life peaks at 21 yeah and just when he's doing this yeah well we just stopped recording and go see <laughs> <laughs> there must be a midnight show or something <laughs> so yeah but anyway that was supposed to be a wee cock one but uh Shan, what have you watched this week uh i've watched everything must go ah ah raymond carver Aye, that's exactly it. It's it's, it's called something else. It's now own. called. It was called Everything Must Go, and it still is on all the promotional material. Because I wanted to have a wee check on this before we actually started. What? Oh, oh fuck! Got a little oh. bit of cocaine. Oh. Huh? You got a little booger in your nose, man. It was a booger, man. <laughs> but uh, it's now called Neighbor for Sale. Aye, because Neighbor for Sale is a shit. Like, everything Must Go is about subtler. Because on like, Neighbor for Sale shit. Fuck, we No, because no, on, on Netflix, like the picture says, everything must go. But, but when, when you, you actually select it, it, it's Neighbor for Sale. Like, what the fuck's up with yeah. uh, Well, he's obviously know quite a bit about it anyway, but for a listener, it's 2010. It's written and directed by Dan Rush. Um, not sure if he'd done a lot of stuff before that, to be quite honest with you. I remember at the time I watched an interview, and uh, Will Ferrell said when he met him, it was about. This guy was looking for his, his sort of his feature or his, his first sort of bigger feature, yeah. and the whole idea was that if he got Will Ferrell, then they could sell a film. Yep. And Will Ferrell says, you know, he, he's done it a few times, but he says he was very careful about it. But he says actually quite liked your man. It was your short. It's your short. I, I heard the director was always late on set. <sighs> he was always on a rush. Oh, oh Jesus! Oh, there we go. Oh God! That's another one of uh, <laughs> an our entry to Michael Breslin's follower jokes. <laughs> Hey, I need to prepare. <laughs> what? <laughs> Son, you're not telling us? Yeah. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, do you know what? It's, it's sort of one of those things, obviously, just to kind of explain the plots. Uh, like Heron just said, it's Will Ferrell. It's essentially just Will Ferrell and Rebecca Hall. It's got a very small cast. Michael Pena's in there as well Ooh. as Will Ferrell's. But he's actually, Michael Pena's play, playing it very straight. He, he doesn't get, because when I first seen it, I thought, oh, he's going to get the kind of, uh, be let loose and you know kind of show his comedy chops like he was because he's really funny mm. but it's actually it's quite not a particularly funny film it's not really yeah, funny it's I don't think that humour was never one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why United Healthcare offers flexible budget friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wagovi and zep pound for those who qualify plus they accept most insurance plans to get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
for the main aim of the film. That's why I love because as soon as you think of Will Ferrell, he's probably like uh, the the two thousand the twenty tens Jim Carrey. You know, he's the biggest comedy actor on the planet, and he probably still is to be quite honest with you. But this is one of his, like they say, wouldn't say art films, but this is, this is his number twenty three. <laughs> this is uh, this is his like. Well, I mean, like, you know what? No. He's done it before in Strange on Fiction. Yeah. Strange on Fiction is a cracking dramatic performance, and this one is just as good and I think it just kind of fell by the wayside because it doesn't have as interesting an art of strange and fiction obviously kind of works with temporalities and it's about his life actually being a book and they're showing a, there's a wee niche in there mm. whereas everything must go is a lot straighter I mean like literally the film starts with it's Glenn Hurton from uh, It's Always Sunny and I was saying to you last week about how I was like oh Glenn Hurton's a fucking phenomenal actor he's really funny I want to yeah. see him in more stuff but then he's, he's completely wasted in this he just plays like a dickhead boss and he doesn't get to be funny he just, he just plays a dickhead and you really don't like him but uh, he can do that in his sleep. Like. He can do it in his sleep. <laughs> no, he plays a sociopath subtly every fucking week. But uh, he sacks Will Ferrell in the very first scene of the film, so it's not a spoiler uh, because Will Ferrell has been battling like alcoholism for like twenty years, and he goes back to his house and all of his possessions are out in the the front garden, and goes up the door and there's a note left from by his wife, soon to be ex wife, obviously because she's leaving him, saying uh, I don't want to hear from you again. I've had enough, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, you know, do something else. So <laughs> imagine she actually put etc. etc. She's not even bored. He finds a fucking letter. Like it's like that's how dumb him she is. I like, fuck hey, you. You're out, etc. etc. See, divorce papers, etc. Fuck off, etc. <laughs> Your shit's in the lawn. See, I, I, see you after. I actually was thinking to myself, like, oh, I must write that down, but it's recorded. <laughs> <laughs> so like as opposed to him like reading this letter and realising right I'll, I'll go to a hotel or can I'll work my shit out or whatever he decides just they love on us on his lawn decides they love on his front garden with all the stuff there kind of sets up a wee shower there, there's a wee subplot about how he gets electricity and stuff like that it's you know it's quite uh, quickly handled and it's basically him getting his life together. There's a woman who's moved in across the street who's about three or four months pregnant, played by Rebecca Hall, who I love, thinks she's a great actress. And her husband is like halfway across the country because he's trying to set up a business. And there's this really nice, and it's like a really underplayed relationship between them about how he's completely fucked because he hears alcoholism and doesn't know what to do with his life and his, his wife's left him. And uh, you find out as well there's been other stuff going on. Uh, of why she has left him because of his alcoholism. There's, there's someone involved in like a a work colleague of his. There's accusations made and stuff like that. And it actually kind of adds like a seediness to Wolf Ferrell's character that you would have never expected. And it makes it even more uncomfortable. And especially, I think that uh, what's even more impactful is the fact that if you've seen an actor in that role and these sort of accusations of seediness and, you know, possible like sexual assault and all was labelled at someone, like say like a Brad Pitt, you get handled because you usually associate them with dramatic roles but when it's Will Ferrell, I think it packs a bigger punch, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, Jesus Christ, this this is fucking me even more. But anyway. <laughs> I always think of it, of, of it as the, the Jack Lemmon days of Wine and Roses thing. You're like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think with Jack Lemmon, he... He balanced it. I mean, like he was one of the people who balanced it perfectly between a comedy I, career and a dramatic I, career. I, I, I know, I know. I, I'm, 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 but there's know. this, there's this uh, 
there's this nice parallel way, like I just said about Will Ferrell's character, but Rebecca Hall's character, her husband has went halfway across the country, she's a couple of months pregnant, and it's obvious that she doesn't really know where her marriage is going, and she doesn't know where she should be with this fella, because he's literally made her move halfway across the country, southern down to Arizona herself, when she's pregnant, do all the work herself, and Will Ferrell, in one of like a, a seminal scene, kind of calls her out in it. But, what I like is that it's, 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 it's built up as like a, a romance sort of thing but because it's way more realist and it's very very well observed it, it doesn't really go that way and i think it's just very well observed because if you look at it i think collectively there's probably about four main actors in the film obviously it's a character study of will ferrell he spends most of the time in his front garden just flicking through his old possessions and stuff like that it's only 90 minutes long so it's a wee 90 monitor and i think it, it's just really well handled and it's it's just great to see as well. I, you know, I think most people here on the films like to see an actor play against type. You know that's probably why you know Strange on Fiction is a good film. But I think it's it's even better because you see Will Ferrell, on another level, you see him do stuff that you don't usually kind of get to see him do, and everything must go does the same. I don't think that you know it's it's the most innovative script ever wrote, but the fact that it can hold your attention for an hour and a half with a man sitting in his garden struggling through alcoholism and you kind of find out more about him from the characters you kind of walk past him is uh, is an achievement and it's it's a great kind of subdued performance and there, there's none that's really standard about it but because it is so well observed and because it shows human relationships in like a very realist way I think it's, it's a really good watch I mean I, I don't think that it's going to be everybody's cup of tea I think some people might find it a bit boring or maybe a bit too realistic and like oh you know I'd rather be watching someone else it's kind of more visually engaging it's, it's quite a simple film but definitely I think you usually would really like it I think it's it's on to be right up your alley I know I really enjoyed it yeah. oh you have seen it yeah. oh right fuck I, I thought you hadn't seen it but do you, would you agree on most of the stuff I was saying then I know it's like when you brought because I actually forgot Rebecca Hall was in it but when you brought her up and then I just remembered about like that scene you were talking about where he calls her out on her husband and stuff like it's a really great relationship that gets built up between them. Yeah. And it's almost like, the way I see it, you originally think, oh, they're going to, you know, fall in love or something like that. And it's going to be something very cliche like that. that they have pregnant They're going to have pregnant sex. I, oh, that'd be weird. Fucking yeah, I, I don't even really think about it. That has somebody it else's baby your, in oh, it. Oh, it's weird enough it's your own way. It's like that fucking, <laughs> it's like uh what do you call it again? The knocked up thing? Uh, Mom, yeah. my baby can just see my dick coming right towards <laughs> but, uh, I like the fact that it kind of pulls you in and you assume that it's going to go one way like most of these films do. Like, oh, they're going to fall in love, etc, etc. But then it's just handled in like a, a way more simplistic and probably realistic way of how it actually would go, especially yeah. for a girl who's three months pregnant and is still sort of semi-happily married and a man who's battling alcoholism and is still very obviously in love with well, wife, I suppose, because they're yeah. not raised separately. Like. But um uh, is we kid psychic. Is we kid psychic as well. <laughs> and that's that's nice too because I think that that is a great way obviously that that kid is written on there for one reason. If you've got Will Ferrell sitting on his fucking lawn for a whole film, you're not gonna really find out much about him as opposed to the fact besides the fact that he's an alcoholic. You know, yeah. obviously you need these other characters. Almost like yeah. that kid is almost like what do you call it again? A satellite character. That kid is basically there to be a satellite to project Will Ferrell's personality to the audience you know what I mean now don't get me wrong they kind of write on some stuff on there they kind of make the kid you know seem emotive and, and kind of make you feel sorry for him the fact that he's kind of fat and he, you know he, he's trying to play baseball and all that but 
at the end of the day, he's there just to kind of serve a purpose for Will Ferrell. But it's it's still very nicely handled. Uh, but yeah, I really like it. I, I think it's oh, quite, I, I think it's class. I mean, as you were saying about being a character-driven film, at I think there's one scene where you just I think it's the only time I see Will Ferrell just seem pathetic. Yeah. And it's the scene with Michael Pena on the crab station. Oh, why? Where he sort of tries to f- fight him a wee bit. Tries to swing a punch to him. And it's just, you're like, oh, he just looks pathetic. Like, mm. You know, and it's like, it, uh, I mean, obviously he's using the same tools that he would use to like, you know, uh, garner stress and this kind of thing and all that there and, and, and his comedy roles, but it's just, you know... It's brilliant because it's, it's like well, what what they call like, uh, what does the actor want? You know what I mean? When, you, when sometimes people use that form of direction, and, and and it's just he just wants to get at him, no matter yeah. how foolish or or or, or yeah, uh, kind of haphazard it is. Even if he has a high ranking cop, and he's just like I'm just you know, and it it's so clumsy, and it's just uh, you know, and he's just and that scene, you just realize, Jesus, this guy's fucking lost. Oh, why? He's so lost. I mean. There's always, I always think there's like a biblical thing. Dick Carver's writing as well, especially like we uh, shortcuts and stuff like that. There, you know, not unlike Magnolia at the end with the 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 frogs and stuff, and then uh, with shortcuts or there as quick and everything must go is that sort of idea of. I think it's that idea of, I mean, in the Bible it was it was it was about like uh, a a belief in God. You know, would you? sell all your possessions for a belief in something kind of thing I mean I don't know if Carver is religious or something like that there but there's definitely we touches of that and it's that whole thing of of you know selling all your stuff to just exist and be a man and then like who are you just as a man does this you know yeah. what is all this stuff is it do you own it or does it own you and this kind of thing and all and you know I'm not talking about faith in God I'm talking about like a faith in something faith in yourself or yeah a, it's a faith in yourself a, is exactly what I was thinking you can succeed and continue and, and I think it, it, it's it's just a really interesting way to take such a simple story and I think it's it's no accident that it's it, it sort of reminds people of that kind of thing yeah you know? and I, 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 I would totally agree because if you're saying about that faith in yourself thing that's that's the thing that I, I talk most about because Feral in it is as pathetic a character as you'll see at some points and he, like you said, is completely not utterly lost and he's got nothing going for him. But then it's only when it's that sort of other seminal scene with Laura Dern's character when mm. she does mm. kind of remind him that's a saying, it's a glorified camu that you know he is a good person and that and it's it, it's the line and it's definitely they were going for it because it, it lingers in that line. There's a wee beat there where she says, You know, you're a you're a really good person, you have a good heart and that never goes away. You know what I mean? Which is, you know, basically true i mean it's it's very rare that somebody will turn on their complete fucking monster even if you know hardships have got them down if they are just a genuinely good person might jade them in a certain way but uh i thought that one of like the most kind of subtly beautiful scenes that i've seen in a long time is is when he's just having the fucking yard sale and it's such an easy but a symbolism but him having that yard sale and selling all his old stuff is literally him getting rid of his old baggage and trying to start afresh you know what I mean and it's a great scene and I mean I think that the way it's handled I think it's even though it is moderately symbolic it's very easy to kind of read that off it even if you know if you, you do watch a lot of films and I think it's very evident even though like a sort of casual viewer that's exactly what they're kind of going for mm-hmm. but uh, no it's cracking full love it mm. awesome calm here 
I watched um, Begin Again, mm. John Keone film. Woo! Big uh, John Keone fan in the corner here. <laughs> Woo! Our, our main man, Mac. Our, our, our MC. <laughs> Hail the Chief. Just call me JC. What? Just call me JC. MC. I know I'm saying just call me JC. All right. No, I'm not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> for John Carney, not Jesus Christ. <laughs> But um, I know Mac had mentioned this a while ago and stuff, and I was sort of cynical about it because to me it was his American film, and it just didn't. Yeah, really it was know. it was a solid film. Oh shit! You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like right. But then uh, I think I talked about it before in the podcast that I'd seen Sing Street. Mm-hmm. Or have I talked about that? I don't think you have. No. Well, it's seen. Well, oh well, I've seen Sing Street, but I never. But I, um, <laughs> uh, I seen Sing Street there a few months ago with my sister. We went to the cinema and that, and uh, I could just have a good vibe off it and that there, yeah. and I was in Dublin, but it was one of these things, because I was comparing Sing Street to Once, mm. and I was just like, fuck me, like, the the scale of the techniques has just went way up. The it's production like, value's been amplified, I... I you know what I mean? And even if it was still a low bridge of film, it was far slicker, the editing was cool, the music cuts were cool, and it was just like, fucking hell. I said, well, maybe this this American film he made might might have been sort of the making of him. You know what I mean? It's not it's not that once is bad, once is brilliant. I love once, but I think you know the your camera or whatever, or just in any sort of way. Just Aye, saying, a- uh, aesthetically, it's 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 almost amateur, and I think I can ask it, but it's, it's more about the narrative Aye. heart and the performances Aye, and, and the songs. And be honest, it's biggest plus, shooting strength, like yeah. Plus, plus the way the title comes in at the very beginning, I always Jesus hated that. Christ. It's like each letter is coming from a different side. Of the it, it actually, it actually looks like a fucking like a, a first year shooting film, like you know what I mean. Aye. When they're when they're playing about with fucking title effects. Mm. <laughs> I just, oh, I, it's always, always hey John, BCS here. Should we? We can drop it. I'm from a couple John, angles John, here. John. <laughs> I got PowerPoint, right? We see. I got Windows Movie Maker on my go here. I'm throwing it from the right. I'm going to throw one from my left, the top of the bottom. What about diagonal? Can't do it. So I cannot do that. It's all well, you can do it, but I can't do it. <laughs> what about each layer from every direction? It's all fucking nerve or something. <laughs> but, uh, anyway. No, but... The- <laughs> No, but the problem. What is it? No, but the problem is because they have the title meet like on like the lower third of the screen, so you see the C start before any of the other letters because it has most of the distance they travel. No, no, it's happening. Where the fuck's a seagull? C movie. A movie, B movie, C movie. Anyway, carry anyway, on. Anyway, and again. behind Glenn, there's a big dirty light, but anyway, uh, you can see sorry, the alley. Sorry, bounces off and, uh, to my... sorry, Heron, I interrupted you. Uh, but Sing Street, Be- not there. Begin again. But as um, Sing Street was ah, just was dead slick. It. It was like, but the thing is, like, being from here, or uh, Ireland's output of kind of top end looking films, making them feel and look filmic. Uh, from Irish filmmakers is very rare. It's actually meant that I was thinking about this already. I, I counted, I, th- I think there's about nine or ten films that you could say that is a very nice looking film. Uh, I mean, I know you've got things like Barry Down, I don't know if you've got like fucking Ryan's Dog. But they're not Irish films. They're, 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 they're not Irish yeah. films, they're English films or they're American films. They're said in Ireland. Or fucking Braver! And uh, what do you call it? That's not, that's a, that's essentially a Hollywood film, and then they're saving favorite Irish is a Hollywood film. But actual Irish directors making Ireland look filmic, and it's an 
art which you have to be like you have to look at the place and go i have to look at this place like i've never seen it before where's the location what did i do how does it you know is the day too crisp they shoot it is the lens going to be too sharp is it you know and is the, the, does this look like we're just standing out on fucking Northland Road being freezing or Aye. does it look like I want that they look as an oh, it does it look like cinema you know, what I mean? Aye, you know what I mean it has to you know and that's that's the one thing from once they sing street that I think he's really got yeah. he's, he's really fucking got it like and I think it helps as well that he's went from Dublin to New York now don't get me wrong you can make anywhere look nice with the right talent and the right technical fucking Aye. ability but I think it definitely helps that he's went from Dublin to New York. Because obviously New York is probably aye. the best background. But you know what I mean? Sing Street set oh, no, Dublin but, again. Aye. Oh, Sing Street. I thought you were talking about the beginning. No, no, I'm still talking about Sing Street a wee bit. But oh. I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and way I think from once to Sing Street. Singception he's, here. He's, he's taking us on a journey. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking you on a musical trilogy journey of John Connolly. He's taking us on a John for the journey. Next three hours. <laughs> Play it again, Sam. No, what do you call it? But uh, and I think, didn't say that. So, <laughs> you know. But uh, no, I didn't. But uh, what do you call it? Um, I like so. I'm just saying from the three of these things is you compare the house of of where the Romanian gear lived and once to like in Sing Street where the family live. You know, it still has a sort of a there's there's something about it, but it, it's just like you're like. There's something far more romantic about it now, a wee bit. Mm. I mean, he was still going for the romanticism and he was still going for urban Dublin and once. This still has an urban Dublin feel to it. It's about a boy who was very rich and privileged and gets sent down to one of, uh, like, a public school or whatever, or what do you call it? It's a public school in Ireland. And, uh, and this kind of thing, so he has to sort of whatever. But he still, he still manages to make it all punch and really look good. Yeah. I really think the thing that made that happen was uh, Begin Again because... He went to place. He went to New York, which I think, at lots of times of the year, has the same climate as Ireland. Mm-hmm. Or it has when you're shooting in cold weather, and it's very, very fine, and you're shooting like lenses wide open and stuff, and it's very hard to make sky because like, it's a polluted sort of place and stuff, and so the sky essentially when light comes through the sky, like the clouds turn everything dead, giant light box, there's no shadows, there's no depth and this kind of thing. And it's the same with the same problems of shooting in Ireland that they have in places like New York and anywhere East Coast America. But obviously he was working with an American crew and this kind of thing, so they sort of like, well no, this is how we this is how we shoot New York and stuff like this here and New York looks better at night and this kind of thing. And it from start to finish hey you're you're like this is great. It still has all those lovely handheldy moments mm-hmm. that he had with once and stuff where he just lets the take run that more sort but, of rugged aesthetic aye but more they, documentary but, sort of feel aye but he he's, he's just turned it up a wee bit and, and you've got somebody going well, maybe try this maybe try that maybe and I don't, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna examine all these three films a wee bit more because just to see what the differences are in the crew because you, you can it's great when you start seeing a guy right this is actually my voice yeah. and cinema like and I think it's probably his most confident as Sing Street but Begin Again just has a like the whole story is um, Kira Knightley's character uh, gets up on an open mic plays a song at the start Mark Ruffalo's character comes in uh, Mark Ruffalo is a record producer uh, Kira Knightley's best friend is uh, James, James Corden mm-hmm. and uh, it's sort of there's a sort of a technique in the first act where it shows you where Ruffalo just came from, where Keira Knightley just came from, and 
it sort of jumped back and forth to why this moment of her playing this song was so important. Do you know what the original title of the film was? What? Can a song save your life? Like, fuck, I changed it. Can a song save your life? Fuck. Eh. That makes more sense again, with that structure. Ah, because Begin Again's shite. To be <laughs> I think Begin Again's better. I, I don't like Can a song. I think it's too on the nose. Like. Begin Again, that sounds like a fucking... I don't know. I get what Chad's saying with Can a song it save your life. Like it sounds a bit too to preachy or or no, it sounds like Westlife's new album. <laughs> Doesn't I, it? Be, I, oh, that's be, even worse. Be, be, begin again. Boys' life. Begin again. Did you hear about that? The Westlife boys don't fucking match up. Oh, sweet oh, Jesus that Christ. Oh, I Avengers Assemble shit. Like, <laughs> every, everybody's doing it. Boy band everybody's assemble. Doing it. <laughs> Boy band. Anyway. Um, but well, yeah, be, Begin Again's a bit more generic, I suppose. Yeah. Aye. It's, yeah, well, whatever. But, um. Keira Knightley's amazing it it's very good one of her one of her really shining performances yeah. Mark Ruffalo is always good he's great but it's <laughs> there's such a lovely understated performance there because he just he just has it he just has this sort of you know <laughs> the first time you see him is after her song and the camera whips around he's just sitting there with this big stupid smile on his face and that's the first time you see him the following he's just like he looks mental. <laughs> he, he looks, he looks yeah. genuinely insane. And then when they go back and show you Ruffalo's day and come back, you, you see what that means then. Yeah. And there's a lovely sequence with, with the instruments. And it's just, I'm not uh, that ruin it because it's such a surprise and it's beautiful when it happens. Uh, but because he's a producer, he can sort of, he can he can hear the rest of the song. Sort of that's what his, his thing is. And he's sort of battling alcohol and stuff. But I think w- one great mark of Kearney is that... Um, even though in the synopsis you're like, oh, record producer down in his luck meets singer songwriter, will they do a thing, or will they save each other sort of thing? You're like, oh Jesus, Aye. you know what I mean? Like, but John Kearney's directing and his kind of what would you say is I don't know. I'm trying to think like like a. It is want to avoid cliche, mm. pretty much his tenacity of, of going, no, that's a cliche, is what really makes him. I mean, he likes cliches and he like he likes he likes the the old love story, he likes the old thing, but he definitely there's very there's a very sure hand going through it and going, no, we're not doing that, yeah, we're not doing that because I wouldn't do that because that's that's been done, that's balls, that's whatever, um. You're not Audrey Hepburn, yeah. and that's well, it's, not it's, whatever. It's, it's, it's like something we're talking about the last film. We're just afraid to be realist and actually present life the way Aye. it is. You know what I mean? Exactly, but it's it's trying it's trying to sort of it's trying to warm the heart of people via real life and yeah. stuff that would happen and go, oh fuck, maybe it's trying to give people a, a wee bit of real hope on that there's a wee bit. You know what I mean? And I that's think what, well that's it, what makes his films well, I really think you're right, unique but I think, and beautiful. I think that's an extremely tough job. Uh, it's an extremely tough job to do because it was something that we were talking about a few weeks back, and that. A lot of people, especially our generation or maybe even the last generation, who have literally been brought up watching TV and film and film and TV are so readily available that they've become desensitized to the sort of over-sentimentalized or over-sentimental narratives that this is how love goes, this is how life goes, you know, life can be sappy and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people who watch too much TV, maybe myself included at some points, actually think... That that is how life plays out. Whereas I think the ultimate tonic to that is a film like Begin Again, which shows that life doesn't play out the way it does in these love stories and these sort of you know like rom coms or 
overly fucking sentimental films, it plays out this way. So to actually be able to mine some sort of hope, like you're saying, out of a narrative like that, and not using these cliches that are you know so readily available in Formula Lake, mm. is a very talented thing. But there's a couple. Uh-huh. I, I was going to ask you a question because you've seen all three of those films mm-hmm. now once begin again and sing street and mm-hmm. seen sing street yet but do you think john Kennedy's getting a bit more romantic with his films as because from once they begin again i think it like it's a very romantic idea begin again of like oh they're just going to record an album and do it out in the streets yeah. and you know and do it with their friends and all that. Yeah. You know, you know, like I'm not shitting on what you're saying, but the re- because the the realism comes from the actual relationships that's yeah. there, but the overall story, it's a very romantic story of their musicians. They're just going to make an album out in the street. It, 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 it when is, once it, but, but it's also, it isn't so much like that. Yeah, it isn't so once much. Once a more realistic, actually, but I mean, it is, but the one moment that uh, makes once completely ridiculous and romantic is the bank manager who's a musician. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? That that's that that fucking does not happen. I know that. And do you know what I mean? That's the one moment you're going. You are just about by the skin of your fucking teeth getting away with this. <laughs> What's Where, the song you say? Oh, I don't know. I want to be free. I want to be, be me. Be. <laughs> that's, that's fucking bagging. But the thing about it's bubble bagging, eh? It's bubble bagging. <laughs> bubble bagging. <laughs> fucking bubble bagging. Is that but, is that before or after he talks to the Thin Lizzy boys? Because they're crackers. Ah, uh, he's all. Is that kind of Rocky Lizzy stuff? Is <laughs> we so only no, really no, playing no, Lizzy. It's like singer songwriters now. We're only playing Lizzy stuff, man. <laughs> Timmy. That's, that's fucking magic. But the thing is that. Uh, See, I, I don't find the idea of of recording an album on the street that it's romantic and it's cool. I don't find it a stretch. I, I mean, because like, we've made films together before, and me and Shannon are making a film soon together and stuff like that. There, I, I actually I find it far more of a, a current thing now that you just go, all right, they're not You're backing me, so I'm gonna fuck yourself. I'm just going to do it myself. And then that's that's uh, you know if the opportunity's not there, then you create it for yourself. You know I think that's that's becoming more and more of a norm as yeah. as a filmmaker, as a writer, as an actor, as a, as a musician. And I sort of really like the the spirit of the film. It's just like ah hey, fuck it, let's do it. And it had that that's the whole way through. Point. And it, uh, it, that's what people are doing. They are just aye. going out and doing their own shit. But anyway. what he keeps doing is he keeps applying like music to his characters. So uh, the Mark Ruffalo characters like oh no fuck it, we'll just do it this way. Which then, ble- like the actual idea of making art, bleeds into the real life of Keira Knightley, which <laughs> he inceptions her. You know, <laughs> it then becomes an idea. What defines her? <laughs> you know what I mean? It really does. Like, you know, it's just like nah, nah, fuck it, nah, nah, I'm out of here. Like, you know, that's kind of thing, and it's just, and the whole idea is, Keira uh, Knightley was sort of hanging on the coattails of her boyfriend, despite being a great you know singer songwriter and, and he uh he kind of gives her the tools to go no you can do this yourself and every choice you make is fucking yours and so no i would know. never say that she's hanging on his coattails like it's like she kind of like he kind of gets big and she kind of goes along with him, but she's kind of really wary of getting caught up in all of it <coughs> uh, well no she's not hanging on the coattails no no that's that's that's, 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 yeah. that's, that's, that's incorrect because right. like when he goes off one then like 
she's all right. You're fucking. Ah, uh, she's the one always. They fucking take him to you know take him to church. Like you know, like, uh. <laughs> I actually <laughs> love music references. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> actually love that scene though, where he plays her a new song. And then from the lyrics in the song, exactly, she, exactly, she knows what he's trying to tell her. Basically. See, this is a thing. This is, this is a, a beautiful thing that, that that keeps seeming to happen. I mean, it's a wee bit more overt in Sing Street because the guy writes these songs about this girl, and he's like, "No, they're they're about fucking some other girl. I don't know." <laughs> and she's all, "Is that about me?" And he's all, oh, "No, no, it's about no, some other fucking. I don't know where I got that from. You know, kind of, you know." <laughs> Whereas and uh, and this here, this this is like songs are. Are as, as you said, Mick used the telly plot points, which is it's a really weird and nice and interesting watch because yeah. you're going, fuck us, is telling me something without this is giving me a montage in a way, not a montage, but it's it's giving me a backing track, which is also diegetic in the scene, and it means something to them. It's like a voiceover, except it's a song and it's whatever and and. I think John Keanu's kind of become the master of, of of the musical drama. It's 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 not a musical, but the the musical drama or something. It's like he's he's kind of carved out his own wee genre there, mm. and he's Jesus, he's fucking very good at it. Like, but begin again, brilliant, and again, he's a real stickler for avoiding the cliches and avoiding you know the big Hollywood kind of endings and that. And I think. His character work is is very refined. Character work is shines through in both Sing Street, once and that. It's like if you don't know about it, don't write it. Yeah. Write what you know about. Yeah. And because John Kearney, a lot of people forget that John Kearney was the bassist and the frames. I think he was yeah. the bassist. Uh, the bassist and the frames for a long time. And uh, did I ever tell you this fucking story? I met this dickhead at this fucking screenwriting conference, and he was a lecturer from Canada, and he was. He owns Raindance Film Festival, which is a massive fucking film festival, right? And he told this story about once, which is complete and utter pish, where he was all, so yeah, any, anybody can be a filmmaker. Anybody. You know, you just, when you, little, little known Irish movie, you're all, okay. He knows, he knows a bit about Irish films. So, little known Irish movie, like a crew was walking along the street and they were like, uh, hey man, I like your song. Do you want to be in a movie? Uh and he's just like, I, I like your songs. You want to get your songs? It's as simple as that. It's as simple as this guy was like his bum. It was like uh-huh. bum. And I was sitting there. Dang. And I says to him after. And he's all, uh, you talking about once there? And he's just all, aye. And I was just all, you're telling that day, 200 Irish people. You know that Glenn Hansard is one of the biggest fucking songwriters. And the directors to play bass when I bat me. <laughs> I says, you tell that. And I don't know how many other Irish audiences you've told that. They just look like a white dick. And you look like a dick. I know. And, and I says, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a dick, do you? But you look like a fucking dick. Maybe you should have a picture. Fucking rain that on the fuck you, big Canadian wanker. Not even American Canadian. Canadians are usually nicer than Up on earth. Canadians, isn't it? They're they're the nice Americans, are they not? Yeah. <laughs> like the saying always goes, Canada, America's hat. Yeah. <laughs> Is that <laughs> an expression? One, like fucking uh, Canadians, like your your attic. You don't go up there very much, and then you walk up and you're just all, Jesus, why lock of stuff up here? Eh? <laughs> Jesus, you wouldn't you wouldn't think they come up here? But there you go. There's that fucking boy that started Raindance. <laughs> and Elm Page. There's that boy Beaver. <laughs> 
There's Pamela Anderson. There's Ryan Gosling. Yeah, all Bibby Goose. Yes. Deadpool. Brian Adams. Go on ahead there, Mikey. <laughs> I thought we were just naming Canadian people. Let's do that for a while. Hashtag Canada. You know. <laughs> hashtag out in the boot. Michael hashtag J. Fox. Just saying. He's Is he Canadian? I don't know. I'm just going to type on the Google famous Canadians. What there? Famous chameleons. Famous chameleons. Ellen Page, she Canadian? She is indeed. Oh, wait, Ellen DeGeneres. They're here, right? Two seconds. Famous Canadians from biography.com. Mike Myers? He's Canadian. Brought up in Liverpool, but. Right, two seconds. Oh, he's still Canadian. Still pulling up the famous Canadians on biography.com. Jesus Christ, biography.com. This is going to be like. Famous Canadians from like history that we know about. <laughs> it's going to be your boy from Jew South or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the man who invented ice hockey or something. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake, what's going on here? Michael J. Fox is Canadian. Oh, fuck, Neil Young. Yeah. Neil Young. Neil, Neil Young. Young. Oh, shit, what have I done? Not so young now. <laughs> Neil Old, you would see. Right, who else is in here? I fuck's on here, Mickey. What there? Get them back. <laughs> Do you hear my noise? Do you hear my throat noise? <laughs> it was a wee oh. <laughs> Leave my throat saucy. Come oh. on. How, how long does it take As here? As a bio.com is having a fucking laugh for all that. There. You need to get a better internet connection. Just saying. Hashtag. Are you connected to my internet? I am indeed. Right, Bibby Goose. Oh, Shania Twain. Shania Twain. Songwriter is uh, now 51. My word. Does she look? Does she still look phenomenal? Michael Bubble, Michael Bublé, famous Canadian. Nothing. Yes, indeed. Jim Carrey, obviously Canadian. Oh, yeah, Jim, oh, Jim Canadian. Canadian. Jim Canadian. Jim Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Canadian. Jim Canadian. The fuck else here? There. Oh fucking hell, John Candy. Shut the fuck. Handy, John handy, big John Candy. Handy, handy, big John Canadian. Uh, John Hamm, obviously. Nah, fuck, I wish. <laughs> be like, uh, be like John Canadian Bacon or something. <laughs> John the Hamster Hammond. There's a... Uh, ne- <laughs> that was actually a better joke than what I... Uh, because, like, Ham is, like, Canadian. Yeah, yeah. It's but, like, solid uh, there. That's yeah. a solid fucking joke. <laughs> Sharp as a tag, pal. But uh, it's almost like a practice, that one. Uh, Neo Vardolas, you, you all know her. She's the one who was on fucking uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. She's Canadian. No one cares. She not Greek? Well, she's obviously probably Greek. Rachel McAdams. Oh, oh she from Canada? Eh? She doesn't need Avril Lavigne. <laughs> Avril Lavigne, obviously. Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis. Is he not British? Yeah, well, I think he's half and half. Think, uh, uh, <laughs> George W. Bush is Canadian as well. <laughs> probably Chris Demers too. Oh. Uh, Celine Dion. Right, we'll, na- we'll name one more famous Canadian as soon as biography.com fucking loads. Oh, there we go. What a way to sign out. Big Donald Sutherland himself. Ah. Canadian man. As Donald Sutherland? Is Kiefer Sutherland? Kiefer's well. half Scottish and half fucking Canadian. Well, I would assume that if his... I mean, fair enough, Kiefer might have been born in America, but like if his dad is Canadian, he's Canadian. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Kiefer uh, was that, saying the only reason... He, I think the only thing he drinks is fucking Scotch. <laughs> That's what he's saying. <laughs> hey, but it's because he's, he's not tall. <laughs> so I don't drink beer. I, drink <laughs> <laughs> I thought he'd been drinking a fucking Canadian club. Well, obviously, Canadian clubs. Like, what is Canadian clubs? Like a whiskey in there? Because it's like a. Really, it's it's. They don't sell it over here. Not Canadian much. Club. But Canadian club is like. I'll also Google this. Don't Michael, continue on with the uh, episode of this podcast. Well, can I uh, f- uh, finish up on 
Begin again. Did you ever see Kiefer Sutherland jump into a Christmas tree? I've seen yes. it many times. Do you know what? A lot of people say, chuckled. oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> but because I know that that man's been battling alcoholism for many years, I actually find it very sad. <laughs> Who no, he, he, he hasn't Kiefer, been battling Kiefer. alcoholism. He's been a fucking drinking alcoholic for, or sorry, drinking alcohol, drinking drug addict for about fucking 20 years. No, no he hasn't. No, 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 it, no, he hasn't. He right. actually has He's never been in rehab. He's never been in rehab. He's I, never been in rehab. He's a he's a drinker. He's, he's a, a fucking alcoholic. Right there, we'll just fucking check. Man's a boozer and tries a good time. Hey, uh, he went to prison for a drink driving charge. Hey, and he did the full time. He did the full time. They and then he tried to do push ups and had his head on the bed. Hey, continue. I'm loving it. But I know. <laughs> don't be fucking dashing, Kiefer. Like, you know, I know. Jesus, Jack Berman. Fucking JB, like James Bond, Jason Right, Bond, okay, Jack no Bond, offense, boys, but if a man's got fucking four DUIs and you got a fucking alcohol problem, like, you know, like yeah, well, you would have four DUIs if you drank or drove. <laughs> and I don't drive. Yeah. That's what I meant. I That's why I don't learn to drive. Yeah, I have about 12 DUIs. Like. <laughs> I, I don't think I have a problem. Like. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I would say the heart and core, the fucking uh, begin again is Ruffles performance, like. They're both great, but Ruffalo, he symbolizes the kind of the white light of the fucking true producer, the true music producer who is really genuinely searching for someone that he wants to contribute to music because he loves music. Yeah. And just has just him playing because he plays bass and part of it and all. And he's, he's just like, and that's that's the thing. It just keeps you going the whole way through it. And it's because you can always trust Mark Waffle to they kind of pay a good guy too, like you know. What I mean? <laughs> he just tends <laughs> yeah. to pick good guy. Parts, was song, like, you know? and you can wrap up this, but it was actually something I wanted to say earlier on. But I think that if there's ever an actor who I wouldn't even say has kind of what the hell said again. Sorry, if there was ever an actor who's kind of shown that he can do a certain role better than anybody else but not only because he's a tightly gifted actor but because you genuinely believe it because he seems like a good person like Karen was saying mm. it's Mark Ruffalo because there is a stream of very fucking realist performances that he's done that's probably flown under radar because you got Begin Again you've got uh, Jesus Christ what was it it was a film that I watched only last year uh, you can count on me with uh, Lord, no. You can count on me with uh, Laurel Linney. It was back in two thousand at the start of his career. Uh, the kids are all right, which is an R cracking, very Brilliant. realist performance. An R cracking, per- and then even even like you would say bigger fair that he's done like Shutter Island or like Collateral, which is like a kind of supporting role or a small I, role. I think there's, it's great in Collateral. He just has the, the very, honesty and the you know precisely. Uh, there's some very human. I think he's one of the most human. You would say performers that kind of gets across that down the earth sort of thing that actual mm. like he's like an actual human being I think as well a lot of like kind of rides on the fact not only in his acting ability but it's the fact that he's good looking but he's kind of you would say homely good looking the way he, he looks like a normal person you know mm. what I mean he's not fucking super groomed and all this you know he's kind of short he looks like a dude you'd be all eh, fucking go for a pint aye exactly you know he's he's not got the fucking you know uh, year long tan and fucking you know he's not six foot odd and stuff like that they're like your standard Hollywood A-list celebrity he looks like a normal guy you know he's he's kind of short he's a bit fucking bulky even though he's well set now after obviously all the Avengers films and being the Incredible Hulk and all that but he just looks like a normal person and he exudes that sort of naturalism that a lot of actors 
really fucking struggled with. And a lot of actors were killed mm. to have. Uh, he's in uh, what he called as well. Channel Sunshine's great in that. I fuck, I completely forgot about that as well. He's brilliant <laughs> in that too. But I think I don't think there's any other actor. Maybe bar Sam Rockwell. But Sam Rockwell as well can go really zany at times and Sam Rockwell can kind of mm-hmm. fucking, you know, crank it up to 11, you know, a lot of times and kind of be larger in life. But he can also do that sort of sedit, everyday life sort of expression. And a lot of people might think, oh, well, sure, you know, if you're an actor, then obviously just being a normal human being and showing life how it really is is probably the easiest thing. But for whatever reason, it's fucking actually exceptionally difficult because, you know, a lot of actors... Or most actors who are trained are trained to fit a sort of outless world narrative, like mm. say a sci-fi narrative or say like a fucking gangster narrative, and it's very rare that they actually get trained on having to do a narrative that is realist. Because even you would say theatrical dramas are always ramped up or hyped up in a certain way, and they're usually storylines that wouldn't usually happen to most everyday people. But anyway, Mark Ruffalo's great, fantastic. <laughs> Okay, we shall move on to... Are we about to do topics? <laughs> like, honestly, like, because we've fucking... I think we've... The amount we've talked tonight for... I think the male topic kind of covered it. Uh, yeah, I know. I think... Egotistical actors. I think, I, think that so I, I, I was actually assuming that you were going to go straight on the recommendations. <laughs> I thought we kind of covered... Oh, do you have a topic? What time is it? No, I, d- I don't have a topic. God damn it. Oh, there they are. Like, I mean, like... I, I know. I, th- I think the male topic covered it. Okay, we shall move into <laughs> recommendations. If you're wondering where topics is, it was the start of the show. Get over it. Yeah, we just kind of talk too much <laughs> as well. <laughs> <laughs> so we just kind of gonna be a crying content this I suppose the side of the sack topics tonight. We had our male topic. The big male. Just a fucking uh, they keep him pleased. Like. Big male on his big head. <laughs> Actually, as I seen like pictures of him in that new film. Blood color. I like his his head doesn't look as big in that. <laughs> he looks <laughs> like a fucking unit on it. Aye, no, you see, he's he's because he, he got really built for Expendables three and no. just decided to keep it as well. Keep that shit going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Who's got the first recommendation? Uh, I'll go first. My recommendation is Filth. Oh, mm. fucking hell. I was actually going to recommend that last week, but continue. Right now? Yeah. Love that film. Why didn't you then? I know. I kind of forgot about it. To be honest, I got too blocked. Go on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's James McAvoy, and I can't remember what year it is. It's like 2013, it's I think, or something. Two years ago, yeah. But uh, <laughs> Aaron, back on shades. Aaron just walked on in pair of aviators. But uh, yeah, James McAvoy plays like a corrupt cop in Scotland. Is it Glasgow specifically? I think it's Edinburgh. Edinburgh yeah. specifically. And Jamie Bell plays his partner in it as well. And uh, he's Eddie he's, Marsden's in it as well. Eddie Marsden. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's like an alcoholic. <laughs> he's a drug fiend. What? He's just a he's just a bad bastard basically, and uh, the kind of the whole through line of the of the film is he's trying to get his family back, so he's trying to get this promotion because he thinks that will make his wife love him again. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a super kind of depressing kind of story, and the actual where James McAvoy's character's at, it's really down, but there's it's a really dark 
comedy in there, yeah, and there's some very like the darkest. Stuff <laughs> yeah. I think it was it's kind of it's kind of presented like a fever dream, like it's presented yeah. like a sort of surreal sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's well, there's big, there's a lot of train spot and stuff in there, but it's adapted from a book. It's, it's everybody Walsh, like, like you know, the same, same, same writer, author. same name book. So I I don't know if the director of this was kind of taking influences from uh, Danny Boyle as well. He train spot and probably like there's. There's there's a lot you can relate to both of them, like, but it, uh, it's super super dark comedy, but it is really fucking funny. It's really really funny. <laughs> but I uh, as Chan said, it's like a fever dream. Is that, like there's some sequences where it's just it is really fucked, and there's a particular moment just where James McAvoy is having a proper meltdown on this set of stairs, and you just he actually physically feel like his face is going to melt off <laughs> it's like it's incredible what he's actually doing at that point i don't even i can't you can't really describe it, it just looks like he is about to crumble and a million pieces that's like. why i have to watch it <laughs> but i mean it's, it's on that and uh i'll be very quick because obviously you want to wrap us up but it's on that we talked about many many weeks ago about if you've got a sort of dark comedy is obviously striking that balance and they strike it but i think that it's even more difficult for them to do because it is the darkest like the darkest of comedies you could see like it's yeah. it's a sort of narrative where you would not expect any levity whatsoever so the fact that not only that they can get comedy and actually make it funny but also balance up all the fucked up shit that's going on is incredible Imogen Poots is on there as well Imogen Poots she is indeed Poda Poda she's got a Poda <laughs> uh yeah that's pretty much all I'm saying watch it it's fucked up get take a lot of drugs and watch it <laughs> you have a great time we should put a disclaimer after <laughs> here so let's talk more movies we, we, we do not condone really... class A drug use <laughs> just by the just by the pop uh, just by the just by the fumbleful just by the bum leg <laughs> just by the bin bag just what Jack Nicholson does in Departed just don't come up till you can't figure your face <laughs> um Heron recommendation um, I'm going to recommend Nebraska. Has that been nope? Um, Alexander Payne. Uh, he did the uh, election sideways. Um, blah, 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 about Schmidt. About Schmidt. Uh, did a sentence which I thought was one of his weaker ones, but then he made Nebraska, which was a black and white film. Is that Bruce Stern? Yeah. Yep. And uh, brilliant film about uh. I Bruce Dern, uh, he's the father of these these two kids, and uh, he's pursuing some sort of con uh, where he got this ticket saying that you've won a certain amount of money, and uh, if you come back to you know, I guess your hometown where the magazine was from or something, um, you'll get this sort of bit of money in it. But uh, I mean, obviously that's just a device to sort of get the plot going on that. I mean, the whole the whole uh, plot is about family, and I'm. Uh, Bruce Dern's character has two sons. Uh, one of them is like a, an anchor, and the other is just sort of a b- 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 bit more of an everyman and stuff. But um, because nobody will take Bruce Dern's character up to take this money because they know what they or they 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 feel it's a scam. Mm. They keep finding him walking on the highway, like left of the highway, and the son keeps pulling in and going like, "Come on, let's go back home." And uh, it's it's brilliant. It's, there's similar emotions to like about Schmidt where uh, you start to see that you know um, couples who spend a long time with each other get used to and sick of each other's habits a wee bit 
and you see that with the eldest couple um where she won't let him go because she knows that he's just a wee, you know, he's just a wee bit mad and he, you know, whatever. And you think she's a fucking bit of a prick. And so I'll just let him fucking work this thing out and all, whatever and all. And you're like, oh, she's a fucking dickhead and this kind of thing and all. And then there's a few moments. There's one particular moment where she has a moment to show that how much she cares for and respects mm. Bruce Dern's character. And it's, and it's such a beautiful film because it's like you've got all these characters from all over the place um but as soon as money's mentioned they all start they haven't spoken in years but then as soon as that starts to get mentioned they all start fucking circling like crows now Stissy Keach's character you know Stissy Keach like he was the warden in Prison Break and he was like very present in the sort of 80s TV and stuff but he's an absolute cunt on it and I think he's the ultimate example of what you're talking about like a vulture like who, like, say if somebody wins a lotto or is on for a cash prize and they'll just be like, oh, I might not have spoken to him in fucking 20 odd years, but now I'm literally going to use him to try and get a fucking payday, you know what I mean? Who mm. does Will Fort play? His son. Is he nice? He's very nice. He's, he, he's, he's really good. I nice think guy. he's near enough, like, really the heart of the film, like, you know what I mean? He's he like, really a, he's, I think he's when, a moral when, compass. When you said his son there, it sounded like you are about to cry. He's like, his son. His son. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's great, isn't it? And what do you call him? What do you call him? Saul? Better call Saul. Bob uh, Kirk. Bo- uh, he's the other brother in it. And, uh, right. He's brilliant in it. And I th- I he's a great actor. He's, 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 he's tremendous. Back there. Cause I, I still, I can always, I, I laugh the hardest at this line in Breaking Bad. And we're just, oh, there was one time where I walked into a place and I told him I was Kevin Costner. And do you know why it worked? Because I believed it. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually looks like Kevin Costner as well. I was fucking hanging myself. I was like, he must have come up ahead. He must have. Yeah, I, in praise of Bob Odenkirk, it's one thing I love is that it's something I was thinking about recently is he came from like kind of surreal fucking strange sketch comedy with David Cross in the 90s. Like Mr. Show. Mr. Show. And then obviously he kind of done with Bob and Dave earlier on Netflix. And it's, I don't know, it's almost like a great thing about did it. But oh, what I love about Bob Odenkirk, just to very quickly go on to it, is that it's very rare, very rare, very rare that you'll real? see... Very real? Uh, that you'll see like a a career took off in an actor's 40s, especially if it's an actor who has been kind of hmm. off the scales and stuff like that. But the fact that his performance was so good in Breaking Bad, which was like a fucking TV phenomenon, he got his own shoe. And what I love about Better Call Saul is that his performance carries it, but it's not your usual sort of Game of Thrones Breaking Bad where it's on the edge of your seat every week and stuff like that. It's a very kind of... Yeah, you would say you watch it for him. Aye, he's great in Fargo as well. I agree in Fargo too. Yeah. But the thing we better call Saul. I mean, m- more so with the second series as well. Like, it's a show just about him dealing with his relationship with his brother. Yeah, that's insane. That there's no there's no high stakes. I, like, because because a lot of people said with the second series that like oh it should be called Better Call Mike. Because his storyline is way more interesting in the sense that he's dealing with drug dealers and it's way more kind of tense. I, th- I think that's the reason why they kept Mike about. I think it's the reason they kept Mike, and I'll obviously let Heron go straight back on this now, but the reason that they kept Mike there is so the audience could get a taste of the Breaking Bad sort of intensity, but then also focus on a more sort of streamlined, realist plot with Saul kind of dealing with his brother. Calm, Heron, continue. <laughs> but I never ask him. Um... <laughs> Uh, I mean, as I said, it's shot in black and white and stuff. And uh, I, I mean, it's not, it's not too far away from everything must go like, and and the and the style that it's done on, it's just people, 
and you know it's just people and time and it's about how times you know passed them by and you know and I think the saddest thing is you find out a couple of things on it I mean it's sad because you know you're like fucking hell you know, always the best people you know there's that thing of and it's a sort of a, a realistic day is that uh, you know I was always told uh, like a good day doesn't count if you tell anybody about it mm. you know that was sort of something that was just when we were young that was sort of someone was told this and I kind of stick to it and I like it and it's it sort of and Bruce Darren's character kind of comes out he's surrounded by these fucking pack of wankers and the only person that really knows the true story about him is his wife mm-hmm. and she fucking lets loose about this at one point and it's my favourite scene in the film it, it kind of made me laugh and cry at the same time really it was brilliant because it was like you know, he's such a good you know he's a good sort of guy you know and um and and, and it <laughs> it's this kind of thing where it's dealing with with uh, materialism and a very kind of anti-American dream sort yep. of way because he's just pursuing this wee thing right which is a bit of money and I mean whether he feels like he deserves it or not he just feels like alright you know we'll, we'll, we'll pursue this but then what starts to happen is as soon as there's money or industry you know and it's like a modern way of saying prospect and our people want to put hands on it manifest destiny and this kind of thing and all and it's like the darkest form of of of, of the american dream it's like power and even when will ford's character uh is talking about ah oh, no i took this route to get the the, the town he's talking to his two cousins who are truck drivers <laughs> that's the dumbest goddamn route to four and a half ah. hours jesus they're truck drivers and it's just it's all about power yep it's not like Oh, all right. Aye, exactly. It's all about one man option, and it's about sort of corporate ladder. It's like yeah. not corporate ladder, but you know what I mean. The ladder of, uh, you know, well, we'll use them the 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 metaphor of corporate ladder. It's just like if I don't get there, then this comes getting there, and then that what the film is saying in lots of ways is if I don't take this step up, then some other cunt's going to fucking do it. What what Bruce Darren's character represents is somebody that never tried to stick take a step up on anybody and is ultimately forgotten because of it mm. do you know what I mean and the people that took steps up on him are the people that are still doing what they're doing and they're doing quite well whereas he did good things for people in the past and now he's just this sort of bumbling idiot yeah. and it's just there's you know there's sadness and happiness in it as well because you know compare like some of the moments to like my favourite moment in Sideways it's an R.I. Alexander Payne film with Paul Giamatti is um he has this this wine called uh, um a, Ch- a Chevron Blanc wine, which she keeps talking about, and Virginia Madison's character, uh, she 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 wants him to. She says, "Oh, go get it now, you know." And they're peeking now and whatever. And the, the whole way through uh, sideways, wine is used as a metaphor for for those guys. I think I've said this before in the podcast. He talks when he talks about Pinot. He says it's a very uh, rare grape, you know, and only the right hands know how to make this thing thrive. And he's talking about himself too. And there's a moment at the end where he fucks off from the wedding because he finds out his ex-wife is having a kid and this kind of thing and all. And, and you know, usually uh, it'd be like I'll have the wine with with the girl at the end and this kind of thing. But he goes to a burger joint and drinks the wine by himself, and he drinks it and. 
you know, comfort food and a chicken burger and, you know, drinks this wine and puts it in a, a cup and it's just it's a fucking beautiful, lovely moment. But it's that kind of thing of he's been a bit forgotten, you know, and it's it's not that he's bad. It's just that uh, I guess people just don't understand him or something. And and I think because like Tom, uh, Thomas Hayden Church character is a taker. Do you know what I mean? I think that's the best way you can say it. I mean, he's a taker. And Jim Hattie's character's a giver. Do you know what I mean? He's a sort of a, a generous character. And I think that's what the the thing goes back to about Bruce Darren's character. He's a guy that gave so much. But then all the takers seem to be the guys who are doing so well. And he's now way down his luck. And, and it's just... Uh, the whole thing is a metaphor of of capitalism I think it's just really? definitely exactly it's definitely a common capitalism society I mean I think if, if, if you've got people there who are maybe I wouldn't quite say morally bankrupt but morally willing to bend the rules a bit and stand on top of people and shitting people then unfortunately it's those sort of people who get the top of the ladder and it's almost like if you're sort of highly moral and like an honourable man and you refuse to kind of yeah, shitting people and stuff like that then you're going to go to the bottom of the fucking pecking order and just one thing I want to say to you about Bruce Dern's character, which I agree with everything you say, but uh, do you not think that it's a phenomenal achievement to have a character like Bruce Dern, who essentially you would maybe say is going through the first signs of Alzheimer's, and he's doting, and he's kind of losing control of himself and stuff like that, but also someone who really doesn't get one rousing moment or one rousing speech. I mean, like basically his only action in that film is reaction. You know, their son or his wife and stuff like that. And you only find out about him through his son and his wife mm. and them telling stories. But do you not think it's great that somehow he's still like the pillar of morality and the person that you mm. looked in that film? Like See, the guiding light, you know the, what I mean? The the, the, the the scene that really cracked me up and I was just like, oh man, that's so, that's so nice and wholesome and sound. Is when Will Ford asks him, he's just like, what, what, like, what would you have done with the money? Like, if you, you know. You know, if you ever get this money or whatever, what would you have done with it? And he was just like, you know, and it wasn't anything bad. It was yeah. just, it was all good stuff. It was yeah. just like, I could just, I was like thinking I might buy a truck, a new yeah. truck, and just have a truck to drive around on. And then I might buy a barbecue or something, or I might, and you're just sitting here, you're, he's fucking breaking your heart doing this. You're like, yeah. he wasn't going to like, I'm going to buy us and bankrupt this bastard. It's just like... Or I'm going to do this and, you know, show my wealth and It's just, just for faces. a wee bit of comfort, you yeah. know, and you're just like... And it's almost, you know, as, as if they say people bust their balls, they step over all our, all our fucking dickheads and then all he wants is just did a truck and a barbecue to cook some food on and it's... it's they be comfortable. It's absolutely. It's, it's beautiful. Like, it's a, it's a really... Because I thought... I thought uh, Payne had lost his way with a sentence. To be honest, I I just didn't, I didn't care. You know what mm. we talk about this sometimes. And I was, I, I just like, I just don't care. George Clooney running around flip flops and all. I get, I get the whole. Uh, that that's sort of funny and it's a wee bit too Coensy, you know. And George Clooney popping yeah. up his head behind a fucking head and all. I that's a wee bit, you know, cooking and all. He was and as well. He was originally he really really wanted to play the Thomas Hayden Church character, and Payne turned it down. He just says it'd be too much of a joke as a TV actor. And stuff. I think with a sentence, so what kind of probably came unstuck for Clooney, but is the fact that I think it's just it's 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 his most kind of on the nose narrative. It's like oh, his wife's died. He's a bit sad. He's running about Hawaii, which is supposed to be this beach paradise where people go to retire, but he doesn't really have a purpose. And after that, the character and the journey isn't really interesting enough. 
And I think the only kind of thing that stands out about that film, and I think in, in some parts she kind of steals the scene from Clooney, is uh, Shane Woodley. And that was her kind of breakout she role. She steals the whole fucking film. And she's like, she was like 16 when she done that. that. That was superb. But anyway, just the, the wrap up of this recommendation. Mm. Final thoughts on Nebraska? I feel like it was Nebraska. It's just, um, it, it, it reinforces a lot of the morals that he talks about, about America. And mm-hmm. if you don't think he's he's a, he's a big idea America critical sort of person, then watch Election. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I think as his career goes on, he gets more and more sophisticated. But all his ideas are uh, n- not critical of, but critiquing the idea of the American dream. Yep. All of it, and it's just metaphored and we touches through all of his films. Election is his most overt. Uh, film about this but the rest of it is just about American people and how everything is affecting the way America works and yeah. and I think Nebraska it's a film about a few generations of, of people who have lived through America and I, I just think it's a it's a fantastic piece of work though. Shan Coel. Uh my recommendation is the rules of the game, aka Regulator Jeu, nineteen thirty nine, uh Jean Renoir. It's actually considered one of the awesome. We watched that. Yeah, we watched that for like uh, Full One Hundred One and stuff like that at uh, university. But uh, a lot of actually called Full One Hundred One. Yes, well, it was called Full One Hundred One. It actually was called Full One Hundred One. Was it not Hollywood One Hundred One? Or no, it was uh, European Cinema One Hundred One. Well, no, uh, Full One Hundred One was called Full One Hundred One because it was uh, first year. It was Ah, Full One Hundred One introduction to cinema. So uh, I'm not sure watch it. But anyway, that's besides the point. Hmm. Uh, about my uh, universities, uh, regular as you, Jean Renoir, nineteen thirty nine. Uh, essentially, what the story is is a bunch of sort of bourgeoisie galler at this summer house uh, in the outskirts of like uh, a big French city, more likely Paris, and it's very opulent. And then from them gallering and being quite opulent, and you know having their fucking caviar and stuff like that then descends on the like almost not a murder mystery but some very very bad happens and they all have to deal with it and that's about the, the kind of interrelations between them uh, if anybody who knows Renoir uh, they know that he is the master of essentially observing people observing how people react to each other and also observing like time and atmosphere and the thing that kind of stands out about regular de jeu and why it is kind of lauded as being one of the most important films ever made is because it was made in 1939 literally the year that Germany invaded Poland and there's this sort of dread like this almost prescient clairvoyant dread that Renoir puts in there about knowing that the Nazis had just invaded Poland saw him very very bad is going to happen to Europe saw him especially bad is going to happen to these bourgeois societies and these European cities who are so used to the high life and the opulence because this ridiculous destruction of war is going to destroy everything that they just kind of expect in their lives. And all they know, that's exactly what happened. And, you know, obviously a year and a half, two years later, France was fucking invaded and decimated by the Nazis. And watching it, considering that it was made before that happened, there's something very uneasy about it. But like I said, someone also very quite prescient and how right on the fucking money it was. And I think because that happened, it, it, they're, they're showing that it's just kind of timeless about it, and the fact that this has happened so many times with all our wars, you know what I mean? Like, you know, these huge societies have been kind of brought down by all our societies, and 
it's just amazingly observed. And as a historical document, like I'm saying, just they know that, you know, a lot of these kind of bourgeois people probably didn't even love through the war and probably never knew what fucking hit them. And it also highlights how this bourgeois society, even before the war hit them, were unfighting and they were pretty bad people anyway because they become so overcome with wealth mm. and so overcome with their own self-satisfaction like Heron was saying about Nebraska just stand on top of our people mm. so when it came to this fucking war machine like the Nazis coming at them they were totally unprepared I can't think especially Rules of the Game I, I think it's it has a like an ensemble cast not on like a Richard Curtis film <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking fantastic it's fantastically well handled and it's in a big hotel and it's just fun. They just move from place to place. Yeah, and it's, and it's, always it's in a summer house, but I mean, it's uh, I know it's exactly a big party and it's a big sort of thing. And there's 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 characters from the top to the bottom of society. And I think it was uh, it was our lecturer Des the time uh, turned around and said, "Was it uh, as long as you have Ramar, you'll never feel alone?" It's really warm hearted stuff. Yeah, it's warm hearted because I was lovely about they bringing up like Karen today. Des are all gone, your boy. Our uh, university lecturer said that you'll never be alone. And it's true because there's a... He strikes a chord, I think, in in the human heart. And he's mm. ridiculously good at observing... Well, he was ridiculously good at observing societies at that time. There's, there's a wee tinge of Capra there too, in there, like... Definitely. I, I think there's almost like a... I wouldn't say a fairy tale sort of thing, but I think that it's maybe like an anti-fairy tale in the fact that here's this really trumped-up view of pre-war... French bourgeoisie society and the dread like I said before that you kind of mine from the narrative and I don't even think you need to know about the history of France to kind of get it because he, he does it through his framings and through this kind of wee mystery that happens in which I don't want to spoil in the uh, the, the summer house kind of shows that this has all come to an end in a way mm. okay we'll wrap it up there folks Thank you so much for listening. If you like get in contact with us, you know, let us know what your favorite French house is. <laughs> <laughs> We're already talking about anything towards the end. <laughs> I feel like this has been a very realistic podcast. I think <laughs> we've ta- my, we've my talked about visceral. We've talked about you know human re- the best human relationships shown on film. I think we could call us our kitchen sink podcast. Exactly. This, this is our Ken Loach podcast. <laughs> so you know, let let us know what your best human interactions have been. <laughs> I feel like I should. Uh, I'm just going to say it now, but uh, a fucking cracker showed it to James Corden as the sort of third support in Begin Again. He fucking he was brilliant in that film. I didn't get to say it earlier, but I'm going to say it now. <laughs> right, Mike, you see when you're adding this, you can just throw that comment on the, the end yeah, of his just, review just for Bangerigan. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have Fuck it, I'm going to you feel like it. <laughs> it's been coming it's, now. Because yeah. we're a realistic podcast. Just stick it in, <laughs> stick yeah, it in yeah. whenever and wherever you feel like it. Like, you That's know. why I always do. Yeah, this, well, is this, you know. this is the dawn of our yeah. fucking, this is our nouvelle vibe. This, 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 this I, I is just our new I just set him up there. I knew what I was doing. I just set him up. I just thought, on the Bang. This is why <laughs> Jill is pregnant. <laughs> is she? No, I'm not Fucking hell. Because you dropped that one. I know, I know. It's like uh, uh, there's a slow build the whole episode. Yeah, it's not a godson. Could I have a best man in godson though? 
Ah, know. could I? I don't Who else are you going to ask? I don't think that's allowed. I don't think the church allows it. Yeah, well, fuck my church in Holland. It's church of Coo Holland. Anyway, send us your best pregnancy stories. I don't know where we left on that. Um, you find us on Facebook, Let's Talk More Movies Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Talk More Movies. Or you can email us, Let's Talk More Movies, at gmail.com. You can also leave us comments or reviews on iTunes, Acast, Stitcher Radio, whatever podcast service you like. Heron is gesturing at Soundtrack. me. Soundtrack. Yeah, he'll get it. He, he's oh, got it. I got it. this. I got this. He got this. He got this. Sorry. 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 Do you want to do that again? Or? No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I have been your host, Michael Breslin. Shanko's been Shanko. Yeah. Calm Heron's been Calm Heron. How are you? Episode 55? Yeah. <laughs> You're losing track of these <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Jello's pregnant. What? Is she actually? No. Uh, you're fucking out with me. What's going on? Because you wouldn't have said this many times. I'm just going to take the line. She is, right? And that's it. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. You you've can do whatever you want. You've you joked about this too many times. No, Tell me the truth. No, because I, cause I, well, the way I was talking earlier, it I knew I planted the seed in your head. It's like, is Jill pregnant? And I was like, no, no, no. So I, I knew the more is I said it. even it, in the it, inkling that she is? What do you mean, inkling? No. Because you know, you know like, sometimes people don't like to announce it after three months. Uh, no. Inkling as in, as, as, as they're broke in the morning. <laughs> That'd be a fair inkling right Does, there. Doesn't everybody vomit in the morning? <laughs> Doesn't everyone's girlfriend? Just after a look in the mirror. No, no, Mick. No, Mick. Just yell. Just when you see your own dick, you're all like, Rawr! What do you think? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> so this will be the bomb bombs. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. Mm.